A man become preeminent, he is expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Pull Hitter Podcast. This is Rob D, the Dead Pull Hitter. You can find me on Twitter at Dead Pull Hitter and the Pull Hitter Podcast at Pull Hitter Pod. So, I had asked Jeff Zimmerman and Tanner Bell, who had just recently published the next edition of their book, The Process, which is must read, must buy for anyone who is serious to get better at fantasy baseball. I'd recently asked them on the pod, well, I'd asked them in December about when they were going to be releasing the book and to come onto the podcast and talk about the book. So when we had set up this date to make the podcast, I'd realized it interfered with my normal chat night with my fellow friends Steve Weimer and Phil Dussault. And so I said, oh man, I can't break this, our Thursday night chat night, so I invited them onto the podcast too, to kind of, I guess, help me host in a way, even though it just becomes one giant conversation anyway, but, you know, they fed Jeff and Tanner questions themselves as well as me, so we, it's a conglomerate of minds, I basically just try to steer the ship the right way and uh but when you have four fine human beings and gentlemen uh involved with the process you don't really have to steer much just uh a great fantasy baseball conversation and our other buddy in the triple crown fantasy chat toby Givon, he was a little late to the party, but he got there anyway, which is huge. He had family obligations. He's a West Coast guy. We're all on the East Coast, so it get it gets mixed up. But he actually hopped on the pod um, later in the podcast, and so it was one giant podcast. So I don't know what else to say because there's a, a lot to be said in the pod. So I hope everyone enjoys it. And I think there is so much actionable stuff in here once you chop it through it. Um, probably take you a couple of times to listen to a couple sittings or whatever, however you consume your podcast. But just enjoy it. A lot of actionable stuff in here. And I think it's going to help everyone be a little better in fantasy or at least expand your mind into some of the topics that they bring up. And some of the ways they think about fantasy baseball and what is happening when people draft people and when they get picked up in fab. Just so many wonderful 
ideas and and springboards into like deeper dives that come out of the questions they ask. So enjoy. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Pull Hitter Podcast. I'm Rob D, the Dead Pull Hitter. I have a dream team here today: Michael Jordan, John Stockton. They're all here today. Um, no, but in all seriousness, we have two special guests on today in Tanner Bell and Jeff Zimmerman. And I even got my TCF buddies here to co-host with me and really get into the brains of these wonderful analysts, book writers, whatever you want to call it. Phil Dusso, Steve Weimer. This is a this is a full squad here. I don't think the listeners are ready for this amount of information that's about to get blasted into their ears. So what's going on, Tanner and Jeff? Thanks for thank, thanks for coming out. Yeah, thanks for having us. I don't know if yeah. I've ever heard of pod with five people. So let's see how this goes. <laughs> well, if we're gonna go for like the eight hour pod just to freaking make like Rod Rob Silver just freaking freak out, we got to get yeah. people so we can take our naps throughout the whole thing. You know. It's only going to go down to three people probably at times, but I want to see it be like eight hours at the end and just like, like, what the hell did you guys do? <laughs> we made a Ken Burns whole series in one night. <laughs> it's kind of, it's it. kind of a nerd fest in here. Yeah. It's a bunch, a bunch, of, a bunch of Excel nerds. and I'm just breaking uh, it up here. I'm just this little Italian meatball <laughs> who's just going to guide you guys and just take notes. And like, maybe if I could come up with something clever along the way, that's really my biggest asset here. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be great. Yeah. And Rob Silver will get mad, but then he'll want to, you know, break the record. I think that was this, you know, when he came on my podcast a couple of years ago, that was his thing. He wanted to make sure he went longer than Toby and Phil. So maybe that's maybe that's what he needs to get motivated to come back on. You know, maybe he needs to see four seventeen on the hour and minute mark, and he'd be like, "Oh God." But um, no, but um, big big you know big things going on. You guys just dropped another edition of the process, which is um, you know, if anyone is serious about really taking their game to the next level and understanding real fantasy things, um, you know this is the book to get. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I definitely want to get into a little bit of the book and everything that goes into it and the amount of work that you put into it. Um, but like, what, what is it? What's it like writing a book? It seems like such a daunting task to me. It is, but I'll say, I think when we first came up with the idea, we had both been taking notes and had a bunch of ideas like we were eventually going to get around to doing this. So when we teamed up on it, um, it went pretty well. We banged it out in uh, about in a few months. Yeah, actually kind of the hardest thing at the end was we had such issues with editors until we finally walked into our last one, which we've had the whole rest of the time. But it was just like, we know this needs to be looked over, you know, and by someone that had like some fantasy knowledge, you know, where it wasn't like, oh, we had to like teach them from scratch what was going on. But um, no, it was, yeah, some of the ideas went pretty quick um, there at the beginning, um, just getting them down. We've had a few disagreements, but the one thing that's been kind of nice is we're kind of now we're on track if we want to run a league, like, oh, we know how we're running it because we've written about it. Like right. any disagreement, we kind of know that there'll be some possible um, 
conflicts or whatever, but otherwise it's, we've already gotten through all the conflicts right in the book. Yeah. Right. You, it, there's no, like, where'd you hear that stupid idea from? It's like, no, <laughs> we're, we've, we've went down this road and we've established <laughs> that. <laughs> That's great. So I guess, yeah, that makes teaming up a lot easier and, and, and drafting teams at the same time. Yeah, we're definitely on the same page and we've been playing together ever ever since. We started the book first and then after that we started playing as co-owners. Yeah, we took some of like the last bit of money we had from it and it's like, oh, it was second chance leagues. I remember that and jumped into them and just kind of bankrolled the money from there. I really haven't added anything since then. Have you gotten better playing together the more, I guess, the more you write for the book? Like, Like what's been your... Um, I guess progress as teammates compared to when you said like the second chance league up up at the, up at the is, is it getting easier every time every year? Yeah, I think so, and I think not to you know re- repeat the name of the book, but we have really established a process that we just kind of go through every time. About this time of year, we start our first draft, we work through setting up a spreadsheet that we're gonna use all season long and then we have a pretty good routine in season as well where uh every sunday at some point in time we're going to talk for an hour work through whatever teams we have together um you know we have our system set up the spreadsheets where we're getting our stats from and so do you say just an hour on sunday for fab we we only have two teams together okay um and so yeah we can usually do do a half hour each roughly Okay, because like every other pair i've heard maybe they have more than two teams but it i mean i, I like one of the people i've heard it from was brian slack so we can kind of expect it <laughs> uh but i i think he said he spoke with nick like four hours every sunday um, oh gosh no and oh, then God. with toby we, we, I would uh, <laughs> kick tanner, tanner to the curb so quick four hours. <laughs> my god dude we have a common spreadsheet. We kind of come in with our thoughts and then yeah. just talk through it. And we, the discussion kind of goes the same way every time. We have like an order. We look at the team. It's pretty routine now. So okay, I mean that's impressive. Because I, I mean it, it's 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 one. Of, I mean it's not the only reason. But it's one of the reasons why I don't like sharing teams because I know it's going to take me longer than if I was doing it alone. But an hour for two teams is is impressive. It does help. There are fifteen teamers. I don't know if I would share a 12 teamer. I've done it before. Yeah. And there's just, you have just so many more moves. Sometimes with a 15 teamer, it's like, well, we need a catcher. These are it. That's it. You know, some, some weeks there's just nothing on the wire. You're just like stuck with the crap that you had the week before and just hope for the best. And I don't know about you, but like for me in 12s, um, the moves are kind of automatic. I'm like, okay, I'm streaming three hitters. Here are my, rank weekly hitter rankings let's go this guy this guy this guy just toss my rankings but if both of you have different opinions and i guess that's where you'd have to talk more for those three moves which in the end probably won't matter that much um like for me 12s are kind of i think if you do them alone they're quick but as a team they're probably longer yeah there's always so many guys that are like close like with 12s there's just so many streaming and like so if they're close and you got to go look at the next week and um, depends on, I don't know. I, I think like also one other thing is like everyone's 
I'm just out of our tendencies. I will spend more money than Tanner will like okay. to try to get someone. Um, the other thing is he will lean pitching before I will, but there's, you can't be exactly equal on any of like those categories. You know, it's always going to be someone that's going to want to spend more and someone's going to want to churn more. You just hope you're not too far apart on all of those. Do you aggregate your bid amounts? <laughs> when if like one of you wants to go to 10, the other ones go to 20, you go 15? No. no. <laughs> I don't know. It just, just kind of works. You have out. an aggregator for it. <laughs> I know. That's what yeah. I'm thinking. <laughs> I, I feel like the more you do, Fab, you realize it doesn't really matter if I'm 13 yeah. or 12 wow. or 10. <laughs> great point. No, the great point. Is we won a $100 bid on something. Maybe Vinny Pascantino. I can't remember for sure, but I remember it was a high bid. And I was like, oh, I think we could afford like 113 And we go through, we look at it like that's what we went for. We won it like 113 to 110 and just wow. like literally <laughs> just pulled it out of the air. And I think that was our biggest bid of the whole year on that team. But it was just one of those deals where it was like, well, I think this is what it's going to take, you know, just got to roll with it. So that's such a good point with um, Tanner that you made. Like, does it really end up mattering? Because um, I remember when I teamed up with Jenny Butler, you know, the, the, the first you have a couple of maybe disagreements on players or prioritization and dollar amount and, you know, maybe maybe make a case to for your player per se and they just have they're just a fucking dud and you, <laughs> and, and you're just sitting there and you're like oh shit like uh, i guess i guess uh you know the extra eight you know four dollars was a waste you know we already won the bid by too much anyway and it's yeah so you have to take that into account because you're playing with someone else and yeah you have to find that sacrifice to say yeah, that's a good number. Sounds fair. You know, wasn't we picked up for it was a decent bid too, and like, like went Tommy John like the next week. It's like with the White Sox, Lamette. Was that it? I'm trying to remember. There were some in this year. It's like we yeah. we picked up and yeah, they just blew. Had to go with a decent bid, and they just blew out their arm the next day. Like, oh, good job. I think the one spot where it would matter if you if you're not, I guess, good friends with your partner, if you're arguing for a bid and then I don't know, you want to bid 13, the other guy brings you down to 10, and then you lose it 11 to 10, and then that player turns out to be a stud, like it would haunt me for the rest of the year. Yeah. Just <laughs> not holding my ground. But I get like if you've done it long enough and then you know you win some, you lose some. But um like if I was gonna partner with someone for the first time and then that happened like four weeks in the season. I'd be like on tilt for the rest of the year. I'm sure we've had some. <laughs> I think it helps having a lot of teams too, because it's like you win some and you lose some. I think if you yeah. had like one team or a couple, it would be really bad. I think I think the other thing, like the one thing I think would go tilt, at least with me, is if we ran out of money and you couldn't make moves at the end. Yeah. If it was like $10 a week. Like I see some of those people like we – I don't remember if it was one of our teams or one of mine. I got burnt on that last little week. Like everyone got shut down or hurt. And I still had like six bucks, but I needed like 10 moves because my team had just gotten that decimated. And I was just like, I think it's mainly like trying to get starters in and I wanted relievers. Like I needed to deal with ratios and I just couldn't yeah. do it. So that's the one thing that um, 
that I would go for. Even in that case, I think I was running out like broken starters because I didn't want them to go. Like I was just hoping for relievers to help with ratios and couldn't do it. But that little partial week, I can't remember if it was our leagues or another one that burnt me. Do you ever get like a guy, a guy where either one of you have thought no fucking chance? <laughs> or or you like close <laughs> enough in your evaluation of a player that you're never that far? I think we kind of allow each other like the where I'm not drafting them. I remember a couple of years ago, it was Brad hand. Tanner's like, I'm not having that person on my team. <laughs> and he was just struggling at everything. So if I think that that's just fine. Like if you don't want them, I'm like, you know, Tanner doesn't want someone. I have no problems. Like we can find someone else usually. And I think it comes, we're different in the way we operate a little bit too i mean i'm pretty projection driven and jeff you know we got jeff over here mine in the news combing over every little detail there is and if he finds a player i'm usually not going to be like no jeff i don't trust you um, so right. um so it's pretty easy for me i'm usually not the ones coming up with the wild picks and i'll usually trust what he's got to say so do you have any, uh, do you have any solo teams tanner yeah Okay, that's probably makes it like if there's a guy that Jeff doesn't want, you just take him on your solo team, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jeff, I always had a good idea for you. Like, um, you could have a special section of the mining, the news, and you flip it around and it's called Newsing the Mines. And you just highlight like the biggest duds in the league. Right? <laughs> <laughs> guys to stay away from. <laughs> All right. So, um, let's, let's talk a little bit about last year, looking back at 2021, um, what, what went right wrong in terms of a player evaluation, if there was a player like, or a player type that you guys hit, um, and missed on. Are we looking about 2021 or 2022? Oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> That's what I meant to write. I don't know why I wrote that. I, know, I noticed you wrote it wrong. I'm like, no, he's, he's going to fix it when good, like, he's good, not going to say 2021 actually. Good but, call out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I read it straight like a meatball. I'm not even paying attention. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, no, we have to get that clarified. And it, and it's, and it's, and it's last season. I, even even when it was at the end of the year, it was still last season, if, yeah. even though it was the same year. But yeah, so um, Jeff Tanner, what kind of um, any particular player type or player really hit or missed on last year? I'll start. I, I think the one thing we ended up doing is we drafted for some reason just out of Sherlock at the end of the first round, like way too much. And we're kind of like building our team off those players. And we should have just bumped some guys up. We just had like way too much Luis Robert and just mm. gutted our teams when he didn't do anything. Like um, where we were taking him, I had judge ranked and I didn't end up with any judge, which was just stupid on my part. So that was one thing. It wasn't so much Luis Robert, but he can, I don't think he's going to be on any of our teams this year, but um, just not having too much like, um, of a player another one in 12s i'll never do again is have any kind of early round dh um, a lot of that is just grinding and i had nelson cruz and even if he was helping 
I just found my myself wanting to add different players. So I think Otani is the only one, or unless it's a guy I drop. Like if I'm not willing to drop them, every, you know, for the next week, then I don't think I'm going to have a DH in 12. So I just found out that was a problem. Um, and we were really light on power. That was the other thing. Like it was insanely light just across my leagues. And um, I didn't get any of like the straight power guys. It was always trying to grab my like 25 home runs and ended up getting 15 across the board. And it just kind of added up. I, I know some people have done some studies that it wasn't completely that way, but it was also like, we just didn't have any cornerstones. And um, when you're just battling for your main event and you've got like, you're just hoping to get like one extra point moving from 14th to 13th place on a dead team, you know, you're just like, come on, like this sucks. So that, that's kind of what, what I saw. Yeah. It wasn't so much a type of player as it was, I think how we built our teams, like Jeff was saying, we'll usually go pretty pitching heavy early in the draft. And then like last year you had to also kind of focus on getting saves and steals. And we were just, were not thinking about power at all. We like to think that we can stream our way to hitting stats during the year. But I mean, you're picking from guys that could hit 12 homers and we just could never close that gap last year. So we finished, I wrote down in our main and our auction team that we had, we finished with five and three points in home runs and finished second in both leagues. It was like, if we could have just made a respectable showing in power, we might've been able to win those leagues. So. I want to know is like, who did well in power? Cause everyone, like, <laughs> like I did bad in homers. Rob, I've heard, you know, you said that you were down in power. Like you guys, I've heard probably 20 people say that they were, that power is their worst category, but it's like, it's not possible for everyone to be bad <laughs> in know. power. So like, yeah. So like that'd be a, that's a that's a filler a Jeffer like like what is the correlation like who was getting the points you know from home runs and how do they do with respect to like other categories and overall because maybe it kind of felt know. like like last there was a weird year where all the like the one category guys the the newbies draft I guess um like the the judge um Alonzo um Jordan um who else schwarber like all the sexy austin riley like all the sexy power one category you guys that at least i guess the people i talk to or hang out with usually don't draft it seems like they all did well last year so i don't know if it's like i don't want to say it's the ball because i don't think it is but they just all happen to stay healthy and hit a ton of home runs um like matt olson's another one like a bunch of guys that i never even considered drafting um all being top 30 hitters basically um so i don't know we probably hang out with the same people <laughs> <laughs> who all draft the same way you kind of look for the balanced guys but it have it, it kind of worked out that those guys last they're just all did wide and i sorry i i know i said newbie drafters i don't want to say that but it's just um <laughs> no but it's it's just types of hitters that <laughs> you're laughing at me rob yeah because it, it's funny because when you said it in my head i'm like oh interesting you went there <laughs> <laughs> no but it seems like they're they're all guys that are typically ranked higher by um manual rankings than by projections i guess um well and like i think when, also if you're not thinking about team construction like yeah 
I think if you were focusing on team construction last year, home runs wasn't on the list of things you were trying to check off. It never was. You were just taking that for granted, saying, I got to get my pitching, got to get my saves, got to get my speed. And here we are. Yeah, you're right. I find it like impossible to drop those guys in the first five, six rounds when you want to get like a closer, two or three pitchers and some stolen bases. Um, It's it's hard to build a team around those guys. but I don't know. Like Steve, did you find that I don't know if you looked at it like that the guys um that led leagues in home runs did well like in overalls? Well, in the um in the top 30, there was only f- top 30 overall in the main event, there was only four teams that were under the 70th percentile in home runs okay. in the top 30. So it did it did it did pretty well. Steve actually was one of the one of the ones at 70. Almost all of those. I'd like to see him with like out judge. He was such yeah, a right. code this yeah. year. Yep. Cause if you had him at where he was going, he was worth. Yeah. Just, I mean, you would almost needed like to have like Garcia Goldschmidt and like a late pitcher hit also, or you, you know, out of your draft. So, um, and if they had anything like, um, I was talking to one person and they had like, um, Judge and um, Str- and Strider, and I was like, "Well, you, you better have won your league. Like, if you <laughs> lost your league with those two, you you screwed up somewhere <laughs> along the way. Like, all you have to do is just put out a roster every yeah. week, and you'll do good." And um, the person was kind of, I think, a little bit offended, but it was so true. It's like you're you're there. Like, th- you know, good good luck. You know, it's a it was like. Judge was such a cheat code this year. I mean, I had two teams in the OC overall that I had, didn't draft, but kind of took over, and um, they both had Judge on him. And without him, you know, mm. it wouldn't even have happened. Yeah, well, I mean, Judge, so I- and and you can even say that Schwarber stealing ten bases kind of um, like changed his profile, or like teams that had him end up being better than probably should have um, because of the stolen base. And Judge with the sixteen, it completely yeah. changed things as well. Absolutely. He, it removed it, the team construction thing that Tanner was talking about. Um, it kind of didn't matter because the, the, the bases they stole. Yeah. That's that's so good to think about, too, the, the amount of extra value those guys brought that you weren't even planned for them to bring, you know? you got not even getting the power. You're just getting the speed value on top of it. Yeah. It's huge. Um, what about the new ball? Did it? Uh, oh no, that's your question. <laughs> yeah, I'm it's doing green. Bad tonight. Shit. <laughs> you can ask it. I'm not used to this. Get you go. No, no, no. It's your question. Right. Uh, I was just gonna ask, like, did you find a new ball hurt specific types of players? I I tried to that to test it, and it seems like I couldn't prove anything. But from everything I've heard and the feeling of um of how the year went. I mean, I thought the guys that typically hit 15 to 20 home runs were hurt more by the new ball, but I could never prove it. So I don't know if if you guys found another way to prove that or if it's just it didn't happen. It just it just felt that way. Maybe part of it is the reason we talked about, like, the, the power guys staying healthy and stealing a bunch of bases. But um, did you guys find anything about that? I didn't look. Um, it, it was like I definitely felt it, and it was just like I was behind on power. I think some of the guys I expected to um, 
even though I don't know if I had that many shares, but like Juan Soto, he didn't have like that perfect pull power home run. And a lot of those guys got kind of hurt. Like if you couldn't, um, you didn't have, yeah, that pull power this year, you just didn't hit them. So there was, like I said, I think that those guys are the ones that hurt and I'm kind of staying away from them. Like anyone that's like the all fields power, like that's fine. Um, I'm just going to stay away from that because like I said, I'm just going to assume that MLB is going to use like this soft, softest ball they can find. And it's barely going to travel. And if you want to hit a home run, you know, you're going to need judge pulling it right down the line. So, so you're focusing a little bit more on the pull pro pull profiles this year. Said, Yeah. And kind of look for those guys that are getting their home runs that way. Yeah. I kind of got a little, um, just another marker for my guys. I don't, yep. I haven't put it into the projections, but we've got, uh, I got like, I bring up a player, like a spreadsheet and it has them. And then it like has their aisle days and about 20 factors. I, I want to try to cut it down, but it seems like everything, I just keep adding to it. So it's kind of tough to, but that's one of them. Like if two guys are close with power, I'm just kind of looking to see which ones can um, have their power that way. Nice. You know what I think is going to happen this year? The day before the Saturday main events in Vegas, Eno is going to come out with an article and say MLB is changing the settings on the humidors and there's going to be more power this year. Come on, Phil. But I think I can, I think it's better to have it that way. Like if it's more power than not have enough. Yeah. Yeah. With it bouncing around. I think 2019 with power hitters is fine. I think I can work my way through that. I can't work through way through last year when Jack Sawinski was like the big power hitter finding the season. <laughs> it, was, it was horrible. Like we had yeah. that team and we're trying to dig out. And at some point I remember the week, like we give up on home runs. We just gave up for it and went after um, runs and batting average. Just, I mean, we wouldn't drop our power hitters. We're not dropping Otani or Devers, but it was like, nope. Let's give up here and um, we'll start, you know, have to move on these other categories. I do feel like it's going to move back a little bit the other way, whether it's the ball or human or settings or whatever. I think they um, it's going to, it's not going to go all the, all the way back to 2019, but it's going to think power is going to be up next. And I also think with the um, like April last, it was no offense. And I think part of that was the short spring training. Um, it's the same thing we saw in 2020. So at least April is going to be up compared to last year. And I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they found a way to increase power a little bit, um, whether ball or humid or whatever they, they choose to do. And I do like months. Detroit's plan of like, we're going to sign all the pitchers first and then we'll move <laughs> in the fences. And then we're like, okay, now we need to get some hitters in here. Like, what can we find now? <laughs> but it was like Matt Boyd, like, man, I've already given up, you know, 1.6 lifetime home run, you know, home run per nine over his lifetime. And, Sides back with Detroit, like, okay, it can't get any worse. And like, oh, yeah. Um, Jeff, one more quick thing about the pull stuff. Um, looking at, like, just pull fly balls in general or pull barrels, anything specific or just like a mix of everything? Um, mainly just um, – I have a weight for it. Okay. I, came, I created it at some point, and um, – it's just kind of a quick look at them to see who's there. And it's just on a one to 100 scale. So I can just quickly find 
it just kind of marks them up as better. And especially when I'm just trying to compare someone, like if it'll be quick during a draft, I kind of want it that way. If I have to use it under a minute, I can find the answer quick later on. Yep. Like it's not a big, like right now in a slow draft, I can just go look and take my time, but um, I got to like put it underneath the fire. Or if something does come up, if someone players drops that I don't expect or something like that. Excellent point. Cause yeah, it's easy. It's easy in the slow draft, but when it comes to it, um, you got to have it ready right in front of you. So what do you think about the ball type there, Tanner? Yeah, I didn't find anything either. I just anecdotally, what everybody else said, we were drafting players like Gene Segura, Yuli Gurriel, and Lorenzo Cain, hoping to get like 10 or 15 homers from them and, or maybe 20, but we ended up with 10 if we were lucky on some of those guys. Low Cain. Yeah. Ben and (laughs) Ben Intendi was like he another was type. Steel was savior, like, Low Kane. Low Kane. Yeah. <laughs> we had him in every draft, I think, at the end. <laughs> oh man. Just 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 retired on us. That's it. Um so I guess in season, how did you guys deal with knowing maybe we're gonna have a you know, fully different run environment. Did you make any changes or just played your same game? I think I already had said it. Like we just had found out we were hosed. Yeah. Screwed over on a few teams and just, there was just no way to make it up. It's like, all right, we just have to play a different game and try to do the best we can. And um, it, it worked. It was, um, it was definitely a trying time. I kind of liked those leagues. It was like, I could have, if that team you would have told us we got eighth in it, ninth, tenth, I wouldn't have surprised me at some point. We were really struggling, but um, really kind of got our pitching together. And then just since we were able to focus on average stone bases and runs, we moved up quite a bit. Yeah, and I don't know if there is anything you can do about it in season, or maybe I'm just not smart enough to see it, but it just seems to me like yeah, if there was a 30 home run hitter on the waiver wire, we were going to go after him, but that just wasn't there. And so there was just no way to course correct. It seems like it was an issue that we fell into during the draft. And even if we did realize the environment had changed, it's there was no help coming anyway. So I know the part where I kind of got screwed myself is um, – I try to avoid streaming pitchers, especially in April and May, just because we don't know who's pitching well that year, who's off. Um, and like the number of like pitchers that just start the year, give up six or and run in three innings and then just disappear in triple A or get go on the IL. I always try to avoid that every year, but last year there was no hitting in April. So everyone who streamed pitchers in April um, got great ratios. And then meanwhile, I was streaming hitters um, and getting nothing out of them. And then, <laughs> After that, I kind of adjusted, but um, that's the part that kind of messed with me, at least in, in April and May. Um, started all my leagues the wrong way, just trying to maximize at-bats that were worth nothing in April. Um, yeah. And then messing my ratios with uh, mistiming Steven Matz and other guys like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of wondered this year if we're going to have some slow guys with the 
World Baseball Classic, like if they're going to get plenty at bats during that or not. Like, I, th- I think during the preseason, like they'll go on the backfield and just have like a pitcher just, you know, the pitchers just pound them and so they can get as many bats in as they can. So there might be some guys behind, even though, you know, we're seeing them on TV. Are they starting spring training a week earlier? I, cause I think like back, like at least the last World Baseball Classic, I think I remember they start spring training earlier um, just to get the, just to get guys ready for it, but I'm not sure about that. Don't know. No. Because if they do that, then it kind of um, kind of ends up being kind of a normal offseason. Um, in some cases, a longer spring training. Um, I assume they'll still in innings like in spring the same way. They won't get more innings, but um, at least more guys probably get playing time when while guys are off at the classic. Yeah, they, it looks like it's starting the 24th. February 24th this year. Okay. And the baseball class, it was like first week of March, right? March 10th, I think, 11th-ish. Okay. Okay, so probably won't. Just guys are going to play there instead of spring training. They're going to run both at the same time, I guess. Yeah, I would think I would think they're, if anything, they make a brief appearance with their team and then go. Yeah. Is the 24th when it started or do pitchers and catchers report earlier than that? No, the game start that day. Okay, so the I'm, game start. Uh, yeah, okay, I'm assuming okay. yeah, they'll they'll get there earlier. Okay, yeah, yeah. What did the uh? It tells you the date to spring training. Um, that's exciting, man. It's 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 right around the corner. Damn, come and think about it. Yeah, it really is. It really is. I mean, we still have a lot of time to do whatever we have to do to keep diving into players and strategies, and but. Every day that ends is a less day you have to make it more perfect. And you start finding out who's hurt, who had motorcycle accidents, stuff like that. <laughs> so, so with a cast, I would have liked to know that before I drafted five shares of him, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 why this these early drafts are tough doing. Um, you know, Trevor Story, Liam Hendrick, the heavily invested players, and you know, just all those teams are starting in a hole. I was just talking to the guys about, um, you know, like the gladiator format and if they just doing a hundred leagues and just those teams right off the bat, you know, obviously I could draft a team on Sunday. That's going to get just as hurt, but to start off in that hole, it's, and knowing that you, you have a team that's so far behind the eight ball is it's tough, a tough way to start. One team. What about seven teams? <laughs> 17. <laughs> no, seven teams. A seven out of 32 at Hendricks. I think he was one of my favorite closers this year. Yeah. It's just unfortunate. I hope he I hope he's okay for his sake. I mean, at this point, pitching. I don't I mean, obviously don't care about my leagues. Whatever happens, I just hope he's he's okay and he's back strong, whether it's this year or next year. Yeah, me too. He's a really I mean, him and his wife do so much work in their yeah. community and stuff, really just extra people. And yeah, he's, um, he's a fighter. He'll, he'll make a path, yeah. you know, he's definitely going to attack it. Like he, uh, gets amped up at the mound, you know, when he pitches, um, all right. Yeah. Phil, the next question is yours. All right. Yeah. This kind of, just like the story <laughs> behind this question said, I first in our, um, 
in our doc, I first wrote, um, my question was, why do you think that we were so much better at, um, why ADP was so much more accurate last year compared to end of season results? And then Tanner is like, oh, I'm surprised about this. I'm curious to hear. I have no idea. Um, and then I actually reran my numbers, but I was wrong. It was just like a miscalculation in my stuff. So um, I posted the R squared of how accurate ADP has been um, at projecting end of season results. And it's been like 2018, 2019, and 2022 are pretty even. Um, 2021 was really bad, um, which kind of explains, I mean, after the short season, I think there was just a lot of overreaction um, over the half season stats. Um, but I mean, other than that, I, I mean, the question was more interesting if, if we were, we'd been more accurate in 2022, but it, it, we haven't been. So, um, it shows we're just as good as we were. We think we're better, but we're no better than we were four years ago at, uh, projecting what happens. So, um, I don't know if Tanner or Jeff, anything to say about that. It's kind of a pointless question now that, that I fixed my math. <laughs> No, I've got nothing on it. Anything, Steve? <laughs> Steve, are you alive? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Yeah. Phil, hey. was there any pockets that like did better? Were there any parts of the ADP that we did better on? At or did you just run the overall? I guess that's no, just I, the, yeah, just the full ADP. Yeah, I just list. ran the overall. I think one of the things is there's been more injuries in 2022 than there than there was in the past. So I do have like a replacement value in there. So an injured player is a, isn't gonna completely tank. Um, this number, these, these R squared. Uh, so it could be part of it, but if anything were, uh, but it, it, I mean, I do find it kind of surprising that despite all the extra information that we aren't getting any better. Um, right. Absolutely. Whether it's injuries, whether it's, um, whether random noise, maybe, I mean, one of the things might be just players are making more changes in the off season. I mean, a bunch of pitchers going to driveline, um, there's changing their swings other things that we don't know about that probably didn't happen as much four years ago um so that could explain in part why we aren't getting any better it's just more changes that we we don't know that are happening um but the, the i mean the biggest surprise for me was how how bad we were in 2020 i mean just to give an example i mean the r squared for hitters has been roughly around point say point 42 on average and 2021 with 0.28. And then for starting pitchers, it's been roughly 0.32. And then 2020 was 0.22. So coming off the season, we were about like, I guess, 30% less accurate. Um, and that probably explains why I did well in 2021. Because um, on my end, I was about as as accurate as I'd been in the past. I think just people, like I said, overreacting to small samples. And as much as um, I know Jeff's going to agree with this as much as we want to say we don't pay attention to ERA and everyone who plays fantasy baseball knows, or at least most people know it, it's still there in the back of our minds. And when you saw like a, I don't know, like a two ERA in 12 games in a short season, you got, I mean, your mind told you that that guy was good. You saw like full season results of a two ERA, and you convinced that player is good, but ERA means nothing. It's it's Jeff's number one rule, as he's posted quite a few times on Twitter. I think it's also his number two rule, if I remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, um, 
can't remember if that wasn't Steve's panel uh, at first pitch. It was another panel I was on because he was in charge of me with another one. But it's like if you want to find a breakout pitcher, you have to ignore the ERA. Like none of the breakouts. I think I took all the guys that were in. It might, I think I put the numbers in the process, but it was like on 12-team leagues, anyone that was not drafted um, who became those values, and their ERA was something on average like 5.5 or something like that. Yeah. So, so it's like, like if you're looking for a breakout, they don't have – I mean, you have to go find um, them, those guys with the high ERAs. And I think each year there's only been two rookies, three rookies, that um, over the last two years that have like jumped in. Um, that, but it's like, you have to just hundred percent ignore ERA. If you're looking for any kind of breakout. I'm hearing uh, Robbie Ray's walk-up song right now as you're, uh, as you're talking about that and his, uh, 6.62 Yari in the short season before, before his breakout. Yeah. And, um, Kyle Wright was the same way. Giolito yeah. when he broke out, it's yeah. like. Any of those guys um, that Patrick Corbin? If, oh, sorry, no, never. Mind. Um, <laughs> Maybe next year is the year. <laughs> didn't Tyler Anderson have something crazy before last year? I think pretty sure he did. I could go look sure. in the process, but I'm kind. Of, maybe I yeah, will. Yeah, uh, four point five last year. Yeah, it's okay. But um, so now I I think that. It is, I mean, like I said, it just, as you said, we're kind of just about as good as we maybe can. I kind of wonder also if we're not, we'll be better in like, I don't know, three or four years. Once people figure out like the stat cast stuff will help us, but right now we might not be using it right. Like I'm kind of had my um, quest of like anti-lollipop quest. It's like everyone looks at them and it was like, that's kind of one of my theories from last year. Like everyone that got power, like looked at, looked at those and like, Ooh, look at all the red for this guy. And those are the guys they drafted, even yeah. though it's like only shows their power, like, like 70% of the things there. It's like, he hits the ball hard. It's like, <laughs> it's like another thing that shows he hits the ball hard, you know, it's like, um, so I, I think like if anyone that was using that, but I think that we may like be overemphasizing that and maybe it'll come back and maybe that's the right way. We're not for sure. Like, I could easily be wrong that maybe I should just be trying to get everyone that hits hits for power and ignore everything else. Well, okay. I, ask. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Tanner. I would just like to know see how we could do if the environment could ever stay stable too. Like I think there's been really significant changes each of the last four or five years. I right? I mean, the ball yeah. goes this way, the ball goes that way. Speed goes this way. Starting pitching goes this way. Short season, COVID, um, humidors, like everything's just changing all the time. I wonder if we we are getting any better, but you just can't tell because the rug keeps getting kind of pulled out from under us. The way I set up in the mat, at least like the the run environment is um, is the same um, when I match ADP and the and the the end of season results. Uh, but it does like it doesn't account for like like we talked about earlier, like specific players doing better in a specific environment, um, which could be bright. And I think like I think one of the things you said about um, the short spring training that we'd have for 
a couple of years now, I think that's a big factor as well. There's things that we can, we could see in spring training injuries would show up in spring training rather than in the second week of the season. Um, things like that, which I think would, would improve. Um, but I'm curious to see where, where 2023 goes, um, where it's the first kind of normal year in a long time. You think it's going to be normal? Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> I know. Don't mess with us. <laughs> All right, my next question is better, though, I think. Um, what's the one th- – or – What's the or is there one thing that you're convinced is true that you've never been able to prove uh, statistically, whether in the book or in, in some personal research you've done? For me, I would say that roster construction and how we play the game is more important than the specific players that we pick. It's going to be an age old argument. I don't know if we'll ever be able to prove it one way or the other. Um, but I do think there there was one, I'm going to point to one little anecdote and claim that it proves my point. That's how you're <laughs> supposed to do things these days, right? Um, <laughs> so in the, one of the things we did in the book this year was I kind of analyzed who owned certain kinds of players and did they cash, did they win? Um, yeah. And so Josh Hader is kind of an interesting example, right? Because where were we drafting him last year in the second round? Uh, yeah, he was saying he didn't pan out. Um, there's no way you could win with him, blah, blah, blah. They're kind of citing it as this example of why you should not draft closers early. But if you break <laughs> down the numbers, so Hater finished. Um, well, let's take Clay Holmes. Like he wasn't even drafted, right? The average Clay Holmes team finished 6.4 place, Josh Hader, 6.5. Um, hmm. And there's like, there's almost no drafted closers above Hendricks in the average standings finish. Oh yeah. There's like Bednar. And I think that's about it. So that goes, that, that tells me that there is something it's kind of what we were talking about earlier. Like what type of a player was drafting hater. And even though he didn't pan out, that type of player was still kind of able to overcome it. He still gave you the saves. Um, but you were building your team a certain way there and you were still kind of able to pull through and do pretty well with that. Um, again, that's just one example, but it's pretty interesting to me that because yeah. People are still saying that, you know, that's our example of why we shouldn't be drafting or paying that much for saves, but it's, it just speaks to roster construction to me and how important it is. So I think it also speaks to saying things like that and actually believing that this one person was the sole reason that your team did bad or performed, you know, not as you like. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's more than a, just one, yeah, one dude. And and well, I always say that too because any like I'll always quickly say, oh, this team did good. Um, I drafted two good catchers, and I always say to myself, oh, every time I draft two good catchers, I have good teams. And then 
I'm also thinking, well, I have to have done a lot of other things, right? Not just two, not those, <laughs> you know, not just those two catchers. Uh, but we're quick to, you know, we're quick to say that. We're quick to have yeah. that in our head because we know, like, before we do, you know, extra dives, like, oh, that's the team I had to, you know, JTR and Contreras. That's the team I had JTR and Sal P. You just know that, oh, those teams are doing well. Um, but there's more to it than just. You had to bring up um, catchers. So we drafted our main event <laughs> and then we had to do the auction that same afternoon, um, right afterwards, an hour or so later. In our main, we got hosed on catchers. So I think we went for beers because it was like the 30th round and everyone else had theirs. Like one team had um, three, but they had Rushman. And we're not thinking anything about it. We know who we were taking. And then someone drafts a third one. And we just like, you should, I wish a camera would have to look on our face. Like, <laughs> what the hell just happened? So then we have to go back, sit down and dig through all of our catchers, try to figure out who we're going to draft as like our 32nd catcher. Um, and then we go to the auction and end up dr- taking Varsho and Real Muto. So it was like two completely different teams where we're, you know, diving at the bottom for Austin Hedges. And then we get the freaking Cadillacs of the group in the next one. So it was you can build them either way. Like I said, both teams ended up in second place. So, um, but yeah, they definitely did had different production from the catcher position. What was the, um, I think I remember seeing it in the book, but what's the average rank for, uh, for Aaron, Aaron judge teams. Oh, I had that up earlier, but I moved away from it. One second. <laughs> oh, you at least have the book up. I haven't even gotten that far. I, I was going to kind of jump in about that and say, that I, he was, because we were talking about this theory that if you judge, if you had him on your team, that yeah. you couldn't have missed. So I think it's 5.4. Yeah, 5.4. There's 47, te- 47 leagues in the main, 27, wait, no, only 19 cashed with him. So only 19 out of 47 cashed with Judge. That doesn't seem like it, like it. Feels like it should have been a lot higher. It I seems remember impossible, I w- but I think that speaks yeah. to what we're saying yeah, too. You're like, right. It's the type of player that was picking Judge. Yeah. Um, he almost had the highest win rate. And what <laughs> else? <Dolfo> Castro. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, so Spence, I, this is the one that example that I point out in that book. Spencer Steer was more of an indicator than Aaron Judge was. So, and he came yeah. up mid season, end of the year, blah, blah, blah. But the reason we we picked up steer on all of our teams, because um, he had that one week where they had nine games. Um, the Reds yeah. did at the end of the year. I did uh, the same thing. <laughs> so, I, I find that fascinating. Say so it's the first. I mean, when I I bought the book uh, about a week ago, it's the first thing I. I mean, I opened the, clicked on on. I knew you had done the research. I heard you tweet about it. It's the first page I wanted to see like what the results lined up and the type of players that were at the top and I, I just find that fascinating because I remember running numbers um Steve and Rob you probably remember um when I had like a bunch of teams around like 100th overall in the main event and I just like ran the numbers so I've had judge instead of this player and like all my teams mm. would have been top five I think mm. and then Rob you're like well yeah no shit it's judge <laughs> well yes but based on Tanner's like <laughs> and Jeff's Analysis that the average team finished five point four with Judge. Um, I, was like, I, th- I, I didn't do. I didn't touch those tables. That's okay, all so I'll, I'll credit the center <laughs> <Yeah>. then. Um, 
I, I just, you're right. I think it's fascinating team, team construction um, where it seems like we can't gain much, much value from that information of where teams um, finished other than seeing the types of players that are up there, but shouldn't be up there. Um, I just find that fascinating. The one thing I was like, when you look at this, it's like, why was a good team looking at Connor Wong? And yeah. why weren't you? Since he's the third highest, you know, indicator of success. Even though only eight teams added him, four of those won their league. So it's kind when of one did of those they, do you know when they added him? Was it late in the year or was I I I never looked at him this year? Uh, so I've no idea when he came up or yeah, no, I could look it up, but I don't have it handy. I think the one thing he had was some decent batting average, but I, you know, they may have been trying to play that game, but yeah, I was wondering if it's something where like when he came up, um, like a good catcher got hurt at the same time, or it could just be coincidence where he was like the best available that week because someone else got hurt or, um, right. Did he go in tandem with like a specific catcher build or a guy who got hurt at that a specific time? And he just. But I have no idea. I'm just speculating where it could be one reason where um, that could well, no, it would, would have been Vasquez got traded. Possibly. Vasquez did get traded. I'm looking at it because, yeah, Wong came up, um, started playing September 2nd. Well, he played earlier in the year a couple of games, but September 2nd, he became more of a, of a regular. Uh, so I don't know if there's a catcher that got hurt shortly after that or not. Um, I, I don't remember that. But, yeah, I think it's just kind of, like, interesting what's, like, Michael Harris. Yeah, he was definitely one that him and Jake uh, McCarthy are, like, yeah, th- they weren't dropped either. Like, well, McCarthy was, because 47 is um, the number of leagues. So, if you see someone on that, they were, like, picked up and probably not dropped. Um, but, yeah, Harris, he was kind of a cheat code, too. He was pretty darn good. Almost half the teams that picked him up cashed. So wow. if anyone hasn't bought the book yet, buy it and just go to that section of the book. I think it's it's fascinating personally. Yeah, for sure. Bill, I'm trying to find that that thing you said with Judd because the way you said it too was just really it was so funny. I, I responded like that for a reason too, because I the way you wrote it, it was just so um <laughs> you know <laughs> I don't know. I, I I can't find it even it shouldn't it, be too hard to find because I don't think we talk about judge much in our chat. <laughs> no, I know that's what I I, I just I, I can't I can't can't find it for some reason, but I so keep funny. hosting, yeah. I I can try to find it. Yeah, you you definitely um yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, the one thing I will kind of push back with Tanner, I've kind of done before when he brought it before, like it's not so much the player evaluation. I think the one thing you have to do is have maybe a different player evaluation or just slightly off from everyone else so you're not going after the same players. Um, okay. Like the one thing I've done is like you'll have like everyone's looking for playing time and they'll look at like the drop downs that are available on like whatever website it is, like last week or last two weeks and you might search by at bats or plate appearances one thing i do is i search like the last three weeks or the last 10 days just kind of get a different one so you're kind of looking at a different pool of players 
So it's, um, you can just kind of work with it that way. I think that if, if you play the, the strategy game just perfectly, you still have to have just like a little bit of an edge on players where you're right 51% of the time versus everyone else being 49%. I think you could probably get ahead even with that percentage. And if you can move it up to like 55, 45, I think you can just, if, if you're that just that 5% better than what the league average is doing on players, I think would be huge. But I think if you're just looking at the same list, even if everyone goes and looks at mine, it's like, doesn't do, you know, everyone's kind of going after the same ones. I think you kind of have to maybe find four or five lists, see what they all do or find your own way to kind of um, evaluate players. And it doesn't have to be perfect. I think you just have to be looking where everyone else isn't. Interesting. Yeah. I, um, I'm trying to find that place that no one's looking. <laughs> but, but, but everyone's Freaking looking. Freaking deleted everywhere. it on you. They were like going through there like, delete judge. Everything on judge, delete it. <laughs> edited, edited, edited. <laughs> No, but it's it, it, it's definitely fascinating to think about why guys would, you know, uh, land on some teams. I'm just still trying to wrap my head around that. It's just it's it's interesting to see the list of, of guys that end up on cash and teams. Um, but like I, it, it's just on that list right there. I see Steer is 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 on a lot of the winning team, but it's also on a lot of the bottom three teams. But uh, this is not a surprise to see Aquino on the most bottom three teams. <laughs> <laughs> that is no surprise. I think some uh, of those guys people held on to too long. That yeah, good point. The other one, I don't want to try to give too much of it away, but um, on the relievers, it seemed like a lot of chances taken for guys they hoped would get the job not guys that actually had the job like mm. the um, relievers uh, driving poor results. I think a lot of people like column a, like he never really had the job. I think right. just kind of hoping someone had it was not the right way. And they probably held on like, Oh, I'm going to hold on until he gets the job. And I think that that was kind of um, not the right way. You know, it's like either he has it and you just kind of have to move on a little bit quicker. I also find the Gregory Soto, like, was on, like, it was on a, I thought he'd be on more winners since he did keep a job all year. But I guess if your decision was to have Gregory Soto, it was a bad move since 15 of those teams were in the bottom three and only five in the top. Yeah, he's another example of it. what led you to, to drafting him and even though you probably got what you wanted out of him there's it's saying something else about your style yeah on that list i don't know like you said you don't want to give too much away but on that list of relievers who are on uh, teams that didn't do so well maybe it's just like confirmation bias but i'm just seeing like all the closers in that like ladder tier where people were like i just, I just want the saves like i know they're not good but like i'm just gonna get the saves um and then like some of them you did but um, for whatever reason, like you're saying, it didn't uh, turn out well. So maybe, uh, maybe that's not a good strategy. 
I think there's a, that very general tendency to like ignore, I think as you guys know, like the racial impact of uh, the elite, the elite uh, relievers, um, better yet if they're closers. How do you guys determine what you're going to put in the book and test? And or like, do you just have a running list? Do they come from, you know, playing in the league then saying, oh, maybe this, then, this is a place where we can improve and you just have like a running list of things or do you just test like whatever you can and say, oh, <laughs> this is a thing now. <laughs> I'll tell I'll start. There is... I don't know how many pages. I don't think Tanner's copied it over. Um, it's his document to begin with, but um, I think there's something like 10, 15 pages of just ideas <laughs> we have at like the beginning. And then we'll just kind of go through them, each one of us and what we want to do for that year. Um, this year, um, I had an idea, Tanner, we were, we were work, he was working on this one, um, the players. And then once the rules all came apart, I just like stepped in and started doing those. So that was kind of the big one that I did. I was plan kind of planned on some other ones, but the rule changes kind of dominated everything. And I was like, well, if I don't understand that, I'm just going to kind of be behind. So I dived into them. Um, was kind of my contribution there. I do think like we had talked about the book may take a different form in upcoming years. We're both have um, like kids and stuff going on that I think we're not going to try to go in and mess with the book too much. What's already written and just kind of make appendixes to the back. There may be like five tables we end up changing in it just to kind of keep it updated, but nothing more than that. Um, I think we've kind of gone through and tried to look through some names or try to update some stuff. And I just think like um, we want our lives a little bit more. Well, and I think it's hard to keep it going the way that it is too, because we end up spending a lot of time just updating old tables that we had like, Oh, this table went from 17 to 21 before we better add 22 at the bottom. And that ends up just like, I don't know, nobody's really looking at that newest row. Um, but it takes us a lot of time to keep it maintained. And there is a lot of new stuff that like we would want to do like this same analysis here. Jeff I, is really curious to see what it would look like for OCs. Cause it's probably a whole different, you know, themes that we would notice in there by looking at that and what it would mean for a 12 versus a 15. Um, but there's just only so much time to go through and crank it out. So if we can move away from some of that legacy stuff that we have in the front and try to focus more on new stuff, it'll be interesting, I think. I'd love to get my hands on that list, that on that document of 15 pages of Jeff's research ideas. That'd be worth <laughs> a lot of money. <laughs> I don't even try to remember. Yeah, some of them are in there. I I like looking. There's also some that will never reach the um, light of day. It's just like a lot of times it's just my rants are in there too. Like maybe when I'm like 80 and don't care, I'm just gonna start publishing just oh, yes. Jeff's book of rants. Yes. <laughs> You have just, to. Wait, so be like, you're, you're restraining yourself? Like you what? do care now? Because <laughs> 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 I, I, I appreciate your, your bluntness. And it's just interesting to think that this is the restrained, like I need to I need to hold myself back until I'm 80 uh, versions. Yeah, I look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. public chef is more restrained. 
the the DM Jeff is more open about his feelings. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I would you... probably I'd probably if someone got a hold of my uh, some of those ones it would not be good. It would just not be good. I'd just be like, all right, I'm gonna go become a hermit. My that's what my life will be. Jeff got 80 grade bluntness. <laughs> Yeah, like on the, I'm just looking at the doc of Phil's question about the, the uh, R squared for ADP. And I think this is your thought. That's irrelevant. <laughs> Next question. Oh my God. That I mean, is classic. Fair, you you, you kind of you soften it with maybe someone else do something, but it's like just this one line, irrelevant. I just felt bad because the initial question Tanner wrote, like, 15 lines of like a nice detailed answer and then i'm like i just i dm tanner and i'm like i'm sorry i'm gonna delete that because my question is just doesn't work anymore so <laughs> i'm gonna have to start going to um outsource my ideas to jeff and tanner since you guys never listen to any of mine <laughs> <laughs> i get to crickets every time i bring something else Hey, you guys ever think about this? Nothing. It goes immediately to Yandy Diaz, number three player of the weekend. Fuck you. They're, they're just trying to be nice. I'm, I'm, I might not want me to be. Like, what don't say anything smoking? bad. Just ignore him. <laughs> I think I'm going to start doing is like a, a week late, later. I'm going to say, oh, just seeing this now and then respond. Yeah. <laughs> I know you love that. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Um, Seriously, that's I'm like I'll give you the treatment. Like, my, my, I, I sometimes have a, a bad habit of not replying to my mom's emails because, like, there's nothing to say. But like, she's insisted <laughs> that I, I at least reply with "got it." Like, that's what I'm gonna start doing. <laughs> when you like the Google like, can't like, reply. Vertical, vertical bat angle things. Got it. Got yep. it. <laughs> I see you, not going to do with that, but I see it. I guess that's what it is. Sometimes people just like got nothing to say. So, but then they come back with the just seeing this now. And it's like, no, you didn't. You lived with your phone. You didn't just see this now. It's nine yep. hours later. After they made like 10 other comments afterwards. Down yeah. that one. <laughs> I saw you on Instagram posting 17 photos. What do you mean? You didn't see, you didn't see that. You didn't see a text message. Oh God! What are we supposed to respond to? Like in the middle of June, um, you were right about like Jose Leclerc just struck out two players in AAA. I'm like, the guy hasn't closed in three years. He's not going to do anything. We're not going to pick him up right now. And then, of course, like a month later, it becomes relevant. But <laughs> I'm like, I'm thinking, okay, what is Rob seeing in this guy? What is he thinking about? What the hell is this? It's always like this. Sometimes it's relevant. I'm just I'm I'm actually busy, but like sometimes I just see like I don't know what to respond to that. I'm gonna I'm not gonna pick up the card. I'm just like, oh, okay, interesting, or whatever. <laughs> but then you turn out to be right more often than you're wrong. So um, we gotta pay more attention to you, Rob. I'm that's sorry. What, that's what <laughs> that's what turned me into being the devil advocate guy and driving you off the wall. It's because no one listening to me. So I was like, all right, now I just have to come back somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell sometimes when we're doing like like fabulous with Tanner, and it's like, hey, what do you think about so and so? And he's like, I'll add him. And then you look, and he's like at the bottom, and you're like, all right, I I, I I know where you 
stand on and be like, we can just delete him if, you know, we think our other guy's better, you know. <laughs> but it's like, hey, uh, yeah. I'll rank him in there. Yeah, right at the bottom. <laughs> Might even get deleted later when I'm not looking. <laughs> Tana, um, tell me about the like the ideas and stuff that come out of the, you know, your brainstorming. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely interested, not to beat a dead horse, but just how different people play the game. So I'm almost exclusively just like researching the NFPC stuff that we have access to. I mean, they do give us such good data to play with, you know, ADP, fab moves, um, standings, all this. Um, Like there were, and there's so many dimensions with which to study this on. So I, the one that I'm still kind of the most proud of that I don't know gets the most attention is one we had in our, one of the earlier versions. It's been cut out now because it took so long to do. I, I only did it one time, but it was like weekly valuations for every player. And then who picked them up, who dropped them, which players had the most weekly value during the year. Cause that's, that's a hole in how we do think about players right here in the preseason. We think season long, but as soon as that first pitch gets fired, then we start thinking weekly. Right. Um, And players can have like six week stretches where they're making 20, $30 of earnings, but then something else happens and they're negative and we cut them and we move on. But that doesn't get picked up in the season long. That player probably would have negative value. Um, so I'm just kind of constantly thinking about different ways to slice and dice some of that information and I'll never run out of time. I don't think, cause there's so many different formats that we could do it in. Like I, I would want to see this type of stuff on every format, really. Um, the auctions, the high stakes, the fifties draft champions, OC, like, and I can only do like one a year of one format really. So there's a never ending pool of things to look at, I think, about the the league data. Absolutely. So much, so much stuff. So much stuff. You could just, I mean, yeah, you could lose yourself trying to, you know, pour through all the data. And it, I guess it's great too getting a nice fresh feed from them uh, of, of the stuff. That's great. That's awesome. What Tanner said uh, reminds me of the uh, the Sean Newcomb rule that I added in my uh, in my weekly projections. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything to anyone, but I remember very well. I, I actually I just brought it up um, in 2020. His first three, he was like projected for I don't know 4.2 ERA, roughly like decent starting pitcher. Um, Got picked him up for a two-star week. Um, and he gave up 10 earned runs in six innings. And then I think he went on the IL or went back to AAA, and then we never saw him again. And he's, I mean, he came back last year as a reliever. But um, they're the kind of pitchers that kill your ratios in season that don't show up in any analysis when you rank projections at the end of the year because the guy ends up throwing 13 innings. So he doesn't. Um, reach the minimum that we need to, to count in projections are, but it's an absolute killer to get 
at least especially in that short season to get 10 and runs in in a week um and i think it's i'm it goes back to kind of what tanner was saying like when you start the year um all those projections don't matter and the more you play the game the more you realize there's these little things that happen every week that even if you think your math is perfect um that you're not accounting for um and that you can't account for until you start playing and you gain experience playing a couple of years at least um i mean i have a bunch of rules like that i created that just popped into my head because from playing and now like i said earlier about being careful about streaming pitchers in april i'm really careful because there's these sean newcombs that for whatever reason that year they just aren't right they aren't the same pitcher and you won't know until you've seen them throw i don't know 40 innings in a season um so um i mean it that's one dimension that kind of just popped in my head but like tanner said there's so many of those that you can look at you can analyze you can think of you can fix your rankings weekly because it is it, i think it is a weekly game and the weekly part is as important if not more important than than the than the projections when, when you start the year yeah i think like the one i have is what, like and everyone always makes fun of it because like oh i'll only draft like good players but it's like don't draft shitty players <laughs> <laughs> and it's just sometimes it's like like you didn't have Jorge Mateo. Like, no, he's a shitty, still a shitty baseball player. No matter how he helped you with fantasy, still, you know, you know, Nick, what was it? Nick Gordon. What was that? The Gordon that like he played for Miami for a while. The Gordon. The Gordon. Oh my the god. The strange Gordon. Before he became strange, yeah. 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 But it's like no, just stay away from bad players, and it'll just always help your team a lot more. It's like they'll, they'll, you just can't count on them. Like sometimes they'll hit fire, like you can draft them at the end, but it's not like, oh, I'm going to get my saves from this or my stolen bases from this guy. Like even at the end of the season, I was kind of wondering how many like losing teams still had John Birding on that last month where he was like completely useless, yeah. just tanking your team. It was like, oh, he quit running, he wasn't playing, but I'm sure some teams were like, oh, I need stolen bases. So I'm just going to roll them out. Like he was horrible. <clears throat> um, I think my favorite part so far of the of the process is definitely the new stuff that you guys added into the appendix material. And there this is the best, amazing. Like just reading it too, I was just wondering in my head, what have I been doing in the last three months? Like I've been looking at nonsense <laughs> compared to what these guys are writing about. <laughs> uh, I just think it's wonderful. Um, and without, obviously we're not going to give away the wonderful stuff that's involved in here because you got to go out and buy the book and see for yourself. But we're talking about the MLB rule changes and some of the effects of it. So quickly, I just wanted to run through some of the rules and see maybe what kind of, uh, what player you think might benefit or lose most from each rule. So we'll start with the schedule change. What do you guys see here? Anyone uh, in particular, maybe we should be worrying about? Um, I actually kind of answered this on um, a pod earlier today because I thought more about it than what I actually have written here is I think I kept a lot of pitchers from the centrals last year 
to stream because I, I would just know that they would have a weak opponent at some time. I didn't even like check. It's like, yeah, you know, it's like Michaelis or someone is going to have, you know, face the Cubs or the Pirates or whatever. And at some point, and, you know, I'll be able to stream them then. I think I'll have to kind of look at the schedule a little bit more this year to kind of see if those guys can be worth streaming or not compared to someone like Kluber who, you know, is going to have to face the AL, was going to have to face the AL East. And then, you know, it's like, well, I'll just go ahead and take the guys from the central and um, keep those churning on my roster. So I think that's the one change. I don't, I couldn't really think of anything else. I just kind of assume like the projections are going to make the right decision and um, take it into account. Yeah. And I think this specific one, I think really does ring to me to make sure you understand the projections you are using and whether or not they've accounted for something like that. And then just be careful not to double count it. Um, I think, we do a lot of double counting, like you were talking about earlier, Jeff. Okay, you just showed me seven stat, gra- stat cast graphs that are all red. That means they have power, but are you counting that seven times? Or do you just have that figured out once in your projection and the home run number is X? Um, I I could just see this being used to rationalize a lot of picks, but if you're using like some kind of logic-based decision-making system, like we would be, um, you know, standings, gain points, rankings, whatever, something that anchors you so that you don't double count and start moving guys around wildly for something that is already in the projections. Because I'm yeah. not smart enough to figure this out on my own. I'm just going to trust that the bad X or whatever is already figured it out and it's in there. Yeah, the old double count could definitely get you. In my case, I already have like, uh, at least for starting pitching, I have a setting that's called division strength. Um, and I, I mean, I used to count, I mean, whatever, it's a formula. And this year, I, I just multiplied it by, uh, what was it, 0. 0.7, I think. Uh, yeah, something like that, just because they, I mean, they cut some division games by about 30%. I forgot the exact number, but that's basically what I did. And like if I look at the, um, if I pick like a picture, let's say, like Nestor Cortez, for example, um, if I put him back in the old um, schedule, it moves him down uh, one, two, three, about four spots in my rankings, maybe five spots. So it's not, I mean, it's it's not a huge difference something you have to keep in mind i guess yeah and also like i'm trying to remember like the al east besides like the mets i don't think the al east and the nl east played each other unless it was like a you know the mets and yankees type of thing so sometimes that was like on top of the um difference also where some teams had like a big bonus i think the nl west played the central al central so they got to beat up on them and they're own division so like they were looking a lot better so i think a lot of that evening out is a big deal too depending on which of the teams were beaten up on the centrals now that's kind of you're you're not kind of focused on them it's kind of spread out a little bit more 
I do find that kind of funny because this year, just because it's a change, like we're all paying attention to the schedule. Everyone's talking about it. Uh, but I never heard. I, I, I remember saying it once last year, but I never heard really anyone say um, how in 2021 uh, the Centrals played each other. And then last year, like Burns, for example, was facing the AL East instead of the AL Central. And it was what they played, what is it, 20 early games before? Um, so like those, or maybe it might have been 15 anyways, going from 15 or 20 games against the AL Central, switching to the AL East was probably as big of a change as we're seeing this year in some cases. But no one talked about it before. But this year... Oh, it's a big, it's a big change. We got to pay attention to it, and <laughs> I think it's going to be double counted in some cases, like Tanner said. Yep. <clears throat> what about the uh, the old infield shift? You guys have any opinion on that? I, I think I stated it all in the book. We've, I worked through it. I came up with what I think it is. And I don't think there's a lot more. The one thing I will say some to start the off season at Savant, there was two shift settings, like none and a shift. And at some point someone pointed out to me, it's like, Hey, what happened with this third one? And I'm like, well, what? Cause I had already kind of looked at it and I went back and yeah, it, um, like I said, I don't know. I could kind of like, if other people noticed when it was, we might be able to figure out when it came in, but I kind of wonder if like the teams asked for it or if someone else asked for it or what the deal was, but it just kind of showed up and it made things a lot easier. So I kind of had a worse answer than I feel like I do now. Well, I don't know if you guys heard, but Corey Seager is. um... (laughs) (laughs) God, I wish I could slap you meatball. (laughs) Well, yeah. it might be. I mean, this this it, whole it thing's interesting. That I think it is gonna. The folks that are using like systematic ways of calculating player value, might have a huge advantage this year. And if you're just subjectively sliding guys around and saying, "Oh, Corey Seager, moving them up 15 spots," and you're not like tying that to some thought-based process, you might get your ass kicked this year. I don't, because you've got that with. Speed, batting average. Um, I don't know. It might be a big deal this year. You know what I look forward to? In next year's book, what was um, the average finish of Corey Seager? Um, <laughs> <laughs> put it in the dock. Even if he has an amazing I'm go season. put it at the top. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it's Seager or another player, but if, if Seager has a great season, I'd love to see how it compares to other players um, in, 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 in the rankings. He's getting added right now. There's some, I wanted to do like these hurt guys that are already there. This is actually, I've already put in, I'm adding Seager right now, but like how to, how the Tatis owners did, how did the Grom owners did yeah. Harper, like the guys that drafted them. Was, was it the right move to kind of take those guys that are going to miss some time or not? Um, so that's – if there's any other players, yeah, the Seager one, that drove me so, so much nuts to begin with. It's, be, it's better now. Even Eno, I had to, like, 
put get him in line because he was like, well, he's going to go up. Like if they kept the shift, Seager was going to see like a 30% point increase. Like if they didn't change the rules, projections, were gonna, he was going to jump. It was so bad. It was so out of place. And it's like, uh, but now it's going to be like, oh, he's got you know, the 30 point jump from just normal regression. And then on top of that, who knows what it's going to be. So good point. Um, I kind of have a feeling that if I had a chance to steal a base, my best shot would to be if I could time it perfectly. Like if they just had a pitch clock <laughs> out there and I could get my fat ass a good head start, I might have a shot. Um, <laughs> I, I can't imagine how Tommy Edmonds is going to feel about it. Uh, <laughs> but, th- but this one pretty interesting. I, 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 um, for the guys that take a while to get to the plate, just, just, just in my head, I, without looking at numbers, just thinking how, you know, how you have to do something different. Obviously, they're professionals, right? Everyone's professional here, and when they have to adapt to change, they could do it. Um, so that's not obviously what we're doubting, but, you know, there's a mental game to switching that and becoming the same player you were by, you know, shortening up the time you have to throw a ball and, is such a human element to this rule that even the shift rule too, like the approach of players that we're not going to be able to, you know, quantify, but the pitch clock thing, I'm just a little mad at it because it was such a game within the game. You know, that part of baseball is just, such Oh, a- it has, it's going to be worse. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, Steve probably saw it at like, um, for an, um, the Arizona fall league. Like the catcher would get the ball, and then he's like back there stretching with it, like like yeah. I got it, standing up, looking around, and he goes <laughs> to like throw it back, and it's like bouncing back to the pitcher, you know, taking its own sweet time doing that. Mm-hmm. They're just gonna, like I said, if the pitcher needs the time or whatever, he's just not gonna get the ball as as quick. And um, talking to some of the people on teams when we were down there, they're just like they just had to get their guys ready to go, and it wasn't a problem. The one thing I think on the pitching side, there will be some timing of it. I think some of those guys that are using timing issues to hold them on, like Scherzer or whatever, I know he does it a bunch. Um, they might be thrown off a little bit. But as a whole, I think like there's going to be like 98% of the pitchers are going to kind of adjust. And then we're going to like way over focus on like 2% that are struggling with it. Like some guy, you know, ends up balking like three times during a game in spring training. And then he does it again twice in the next game. And that poor guy is just going to get eaten up and in all fairness, he might just be able to kind of deal with it. But I think that there's going to be a half dozen or so pitchers that are just kind of struggle with it. We have no clue who they are right now. Like we know who's taken the longest, but maybe those guys kind of got some more time by throwing to first base. So that might be how they dealt with it. You know, kind of, they got themselves some more time and now they can't do that as much. So I think it'll bother some pitchers, but um, I think that um, most of them, it won't. Now, as on the stolen bases, you said, Rob, I think that they said all the teams kind of noticed that and they kind of want the pitchers to go like three or four seconds early 
And they said there was a lot of games with that too, where they were getting some nice pickoffs. Hmm. Like everyone was thinking they were going to time it. And if the guy had a throw over and they would kind of see the guy, he had done it before, especially they would kind of, they would time it down and then throw over and see if they could get him. Nice. Yeah, I mean, the pitcher can time his throw to first as well. Like he can wait till there's one second on the right. clock. And, um, and that's, that's one of the things like I've heard, I kind of just thought about this, but um, I've heard a lot of people said like the, the guys that um, like the five to 10 stolen base guys are going to get, um, are going to steal more because they kind of need the help um, to steal. Whereas the, the, the rabbits um, don't, they could already steal bases, but you have to be dangerous enough. I have to think like the, there's going to be more stolen bases after the first throw to first. Um, Cause that's where you can get an edge and the pitcher is going to be hesitant to make a second throw. So once you make two, um, then you can't make a third unless you get the runner up, but you have to be fast enough and dangerous enough to draw that first throw to first. If you want to actually gain an edge. And I'm not sure those, those five to 10 stolen base guys, um, are dangerous enough so it's going to be about timing the pitcher can time it as well so um i know it could go like i, I mean it could go in any direction um but um and, and I, um, think, I think what well, i was we talking to have... someone else okay. on a team and they were saying it's all off the stopwatch it's like they know this guy takes us long to get over there with the bigger bases it's cut down to goes from like you know 2.5 seconds to 2.4 and now you're in range so you're going to just go up a okay. you're going to be able to steal against these pitchers it's not like it's a huge amount i mean it's the difference of like a, a pop can or something like that i mean that's how much closer you are which there are some close ones where it's like oh you know you remember those but those are the only ones on tv the one that's you're out by like five feet doesn't doesn't make the highlights yeah yeah sorry I i'm interrupted someone no, no, it's good. I was going to say in honor of the pitch clock this year, we should have maybe said, hey, you know, let's let's make our main event pick in 30 seconds instead of a minute. <laughs> that would be fun, you know? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pace of play. Pace of play, <laughs> pace of draft. We could do we, we could have more time, you know, to get more drafts draft. in on. <laughs> you go oh back boy. to back means double them up oh boy i hope double headers know. double headers oh. in the morning double headers you'll oh, that's great once we get the main events you should be able to pick in like 15 seconds like it's unless someone takes your damn catcher you had planned on oh well, yeah i mean i mean there's i remember in uh, and rob you'll remember this when we did the ultimate last year um i guess out of 30 picks i probably made 27 of them within 15 to 20 seconds. And there's three picks where it probably took 45 seconds. Um, and you were making the picks for me in, in New York um, just because someone sniped me. So I was kind of going back and forth between two guys, but um, it just, or if you have a partner, I can understand you talking things out, but um, I, I mean, I always try to make quick picks. It's just, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'll take more, I'll take longer online. So I don't make sure I don't miss click. Um, but in person, just call up the player. Um, I got just don't do what I did last year when I um when I drafted uh William Contreras instead of Wilson Contreras. Um, I just called out the wrong name. At least they, they were nice enough to fix it for me. It wouldn't have been that bad though. Uh, but I probably would have dropped William first. Of the good season. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Here's a weird thing is I had this had this bizarre projection system and it kind of put him his plate appearance a little too high and it always showed up in our rankings and I never kind of fixed it and we ignored it. <laughs> but if we would have drafted him where we had him <laughs> God, ranked, yes. our teams would have been so much better. Like we're so mad at ourselves. He was like, the top player on our board so much last year in <laughs> draft <laughs> season. Like, who the heck is this guy? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Hanging out to him would have been a challenge, though. <laughs> so I think he, yeah, I played a game on April 9th. And then his second game was April 29th. And then he had two home runs. And then another one on May 8th, another one on May 13th. And it just went off. But yeah, whoever mm. picked him up got big bonus. Big, big bonus. Yep. Yeah. Uh, what are we up to here? Stolen bases? Did we, did we do this yet? Uh, I'm just, this, this, this uh, I just realized there's so much stuff to talk about. We have so much stuff on the list. I don't know if they're ready for this podcast. Um, <laughs> so we're going to see a drastic amount of stolen base increases. I, you know, I, I have a feeling though, like that some, some guys are just going to, take a like even the guys at the top are just gonna take a leap that it's just like they could make such a big gain and we wouldn't be surprised but we're not really thinking that might happen i don't know the one thing that i found interesting is since triple a had the big increase and i looked at like the top guys from one season to the next is as an average they went down so just normal regression was stronger than the rule changes last year in stolen bases in AAA. Interesting. So I would like to see like a Vegas bet on like those top guys, like have to see what their lines are, see if there's any some stolen base ones and if they're all going up like crazy. Like the top guys from this year possibly yeah. just take like the down numbers, the take the under on a lot of them. Um, there so you're is, saying John Birdie won't steal 50 bases? Don't draft bad players, <laughs> shitty players. Like that's a, straight up, John Birdie fits that category. That's the number three rule. After uh, don't look at ERA, right. just yeah. rule one and two. <laughs> well, the, the the draft shitty players was like an earlier rule that that cost yeah. me one league once where I had like four of them. I was like, oh, I got this one, and like it fit my team together. And then like all four were like in AAA in like a month, and I'm like. What the hell did I just do? So, and it's like an NL only or an AL only. I remember it's an only league, and I'm just like, well, last place looks nice. Only go up from here. Uh, are we done here with the stolen base stuff? Yeah, we are. Next one's my question, right? Yes, go. All right. So, in last year's book, Tanner, you wrote. Uh, a section about my strategies for 2020 in the main event. Um, I was wondering, is there anything that surprised you in what you found? Anything that you're using now that you weren't using before? Um, or just that you used and you thought would help you, but it ended up hurting you last year? Uh, either way, just curious to see what, how, how we changed, if anything, what, what you did. I think we were already leaning towards this team construction thing really matters and when you're making 
when you're picking pitchers, how many are you taking? Um, how hard it had gotten to stream, how few starters were even go five innings that are um, not drafted. Um, and I think seeing what you did really did cement that for me because I believe that that was the biggest reason that you won was team construction. Um, I don't know if you believe that or not, um, but you pushed, I think I say in here that like you invested in your top 10 first 10 rounds you were greater than 50 percent of your investment was in pitching and the rest of the main event was 60 percent hitting and um just how you basically i use the word hoarded all the time hoarded pitching in those first 10 rounds and then you did it throughout the whole draft and then that year was kind of like the perfect storm like that was the the worst year for starting pitching volume being available for streaming ever and and you had all the pitching you needed on your team for the whole year and you didn't really need to tap into streaming everybody else comes into the season thinking they're going to stream pitchers they're still gonna you know pick up all the two start guys all this kind of stuff um and that just didn't work out. I can't remember exactly what's in the tables, but I kind of show um, if you remove the pitchers that were drafted and then if you took like the top 10 free agents and just figured out what was left, like the average ERA of what was left was like five and a half, whip right. of one five. Um, and the average depth of those pitchers went into a game was like 4.1 innings. It was like, so you were going to kill your ratios. You were never going to get a win and you weren't going to get strikeouts either. Um, and so I think seeing how that worked, that's a big part of how I think team construction really does matter so much. And I mean, it may have bit us like we were talking earlier because we were following this pattern of get speed, get saves, get starters. Um, and then last year, you know, we needed power. And that was the one thing that we didn't account for. We still finished. We still had a pretty good year and finished second in our main and auction. But I do think that um, we had a bad year, a bad power year that that bit us a little bit there. But I, I, I mean, what surprised me, I, I do think that the way that you built your teams was the biggest factor. And you also hit on players too, like yeah. obviously. Um, but I think the perception out there is just that you have this top secret projection system that nobody can beat. Um, but I, and I think the team construction gets downplayed and I don't think it's right necessarily. Right. I think, um, yeah, I think you're right. I think last, actually, well, last is a good example. Cause I, I mean, I've said it before on another pod that, my projections were worse than ADP and I still managed to have all my main event teams around the top 100 and win my diamond. And that's purely because I, I mean, my projections were bad last year. Um, and that's part team construction, part, um, fab work. Um, I think 20, I actually just pulled up my 2021, um, rankings, the exact rankings I had for my main event three, um, that won the overall, um, I had, um, 
Joe Musgrove as my SP13, and he was going, his ADP was 94. I had Kevin Gosman as SP18, and he was going around pick 110. Um, Robbie Ray was my SP26, and he was going in around 264. Um, and I'm, I mean, there's there's other, I mean, Mike Miner was known that didn't work out. There's there's ones that didn't work out. Um, but literally, I think it was that year just happened to be like Dylan Sees was my SP35 and also going around 250. Um, so that year was kind of just a perfect storm where I hit on all the players and I had the team construction. But I do really agree with you about the team construction part that's downplayed. Because um, anyone who copied my picks last year, would have been really, really disappointed. Um, and I made it up elsewhere because of other things I do. Um, so I, I think you're right. And I think someone who, I, uh, Jeff told me this this sentence before. He's like, you could give someone your rankings and they'd find a way to fuck it up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, so I think you're right that if someone had these exact rankings for 2021, um, you know, obviously, there's some players. You, I mean, that year, if you had robbed your rate, really helped. But um, I think you're right. I think it's a mix of of those two things, and the 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 team construction. And it goes back to what what you were saying before. It's 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 a huge part of it, and we can't really prove it. But it it's not. Uh, we probably don't talk about it enough. And I I feel like, um. Like it, I mean, I'm using myself as an example because of what happened. It's you wrote about it in the book, but it's not just about me. I mean, there's a bunch of other players out there that are amazing at team construction. And if if someone else used their rankings, um, you think we we always think the rankings are the match or the, the magic sauce, um, but it it isn't. Um, and I think you're totally right about that. The in season's the other part too that I haven't yeah. said anything about, but that. Because I, I think everybody here would agree that the way we run in season is going to give us an advantage over a lot of players. Just the diligence, the, you know, knowing when to cut a guy, not cut a guy, who to target, who not to target, um, and having a system to try to find those guys is really what I think. Um, Somehow, some way, everybody's system is probably a little bit different, but you've got to have something effective that helps you figure out this is the guy I should be going after and not not that guy, yeah. just because that's who everybody's talking about. Or and all, all the podcasts, like every every week, it's always focused on um, the big names, the the the, the right. big two star pitchers, the the Carroll, the Gunnar Anderson, the big guys who get called up, but. Like you said in in the book, it's to Jake McCarthy that makes the difference, or it's um, Spencer Steer that ends up on a bunch of winning teams to that nine um, nine game week that that makes a big difference, uh, or it's that um, uh, Rockies player or guy going to chorus that you pick up a week early and ends up having a big week, things like that um, that I don't think everyone pays attention to, or at least it's not as talked about in the. Uh, in the Twitter sphere or on podcast. Well, the one thing you should like with steers, I think was interesting might've been where everyone that week before was picking up reds. And I kind of wonder if those ones that like did good, were looking like two weeks ahead. And then he may have been picked up then because everyone kind of saw that reds week yeah. kind of coming up. 
And that might be like when it was done or like, Mm. so that is the advantage is that they're looking two weeks ahead for like these big matchups and getting the guys a little bit cheaper instead of just going after them, you know, the week before or something. It's like some, something different with their strategy on picking those guys up and yeah, just not reacting week to week, but there's also so many weeks, like you say you plan ahead, but it's like, I remember going through some fabs, like, I just hope I can get a decent, my healthy team this week. You're kind of dropping guys and just hoping to, you know, three of your, one of your three day-to-day guys plays this week and then comes Monday and all three of them are on the IL and there's, cause you didn't want to drop one of your starters that you want that way. So, I mean, there's like the ideal weeks and then there's the weeks where, yeah, it's just pure maintenance, but on that well, yeah, if you, point. Sorry, Jeff. Well, if you just think about the way, I don't know if it seemed this way to everybody else, but last year, the final standing seemed so close. Like, I don't know if it was just us, yeah. but we, in the, in our main, we had a guy who was 10 points behind I swear it was something like this. He was he was in third, 10 points behind Genstad, who was in first. We were in second. This guy came comes roaring back from down 10. He took like a four-point lead at one point. And then he still finished in third. Like he fell right back down. But there in even for us, we finished second, like four points out, but we thought we could win going into that last week, still, like yeah. if things went our way. And if you th- I mean, that's concentrated because we're thinking about the last week of the season. But if you don't have a system all season long that's finding you, you know, four extra home runs during the season, like that's what it all came down to. Um, Like if we went back and looked, could there have been some way that we scrapped out, you know, four extra home runs and two steals, we might have won. So the margins are thin. And I think for the most part, our system works to maximize all that stuff. But if you don't have some kind of a system like that, where you are exploiting almost every little advantage, you're at a, you're at a big disadvantage. Yeah. I mean, I lost the TGFBI overall with by one win. Um, yeah. Toby took a few thousand dollars from me in a super off of one point of batting average. I think it was less than one point. So if it had like one or two more hits throughout the year, it, it would have, um, it was actually 0. 0.0001 points of batting average. We would have taken first and he would have gotten second in a super. So there's a lot of times, like you look at the end and it was like, oh, you're mad that week. I'm more mad at the stuff I missed during the year. Like, I'm pretty sure I could have grabbed an extra win in TGFBI somewhere along the way and had the overall win. And um, it just didn't happen. So um kind of one reason why I'm cutting down on leagues. I did feel like I was kind of overwhelmed on the weekends, but it's doing everything you possibly can to get every run and RBI to help you move up. And it just, like I said, it can just make a difference between hundreds and hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars. And you can't take a single Sunday off because that, that one week where you decide to do your five in one hour instead of three hours I mean, that could be the difference where you don't pick up the, the stream or you end up taking a zero on the weekend or whatever it is and losing by a couple RBIs. Yeah, I kind of have a, a faster way to kind of do one, but it's 
I think like sometimes things just kind of get up, but I think you have to have a set time frame and not that you want to do, or, or at least like I can do it all in an hour. And, yeah. and then if you have like, let's say it's your time variations change, but you've always got an hour, be able to do it in an hour, get everything done in an hour. Then you're extra. You can go look at other players and maybe move some stuff around. Um, I kind of have like, okay, this is the quick one. I can go through, do that one, or there's like the longer one. But by the time I've looked through lineups on Friday for fan graphs, and then that um, waiver wire report on usually starting sometime on Saturday, it's like, it's like, I kind of have a clue what's going on. The one thing I kind of miss is stuff happening on Sunday that some other people may be on, but maybe that's one of my advantages is I don't deal with the immediate news You don't deal with the um, what was it JT Charjoa possibly getting a save at what was it nine fifty eight p.m. <laughs> in the Sunday night game? I still remember that. <laughs> oh, those the Sunday saves! I don't understand it at all. It's like I, I oh my god, it's probably the more fabs wasted on that than anything else. Yeah, but I, I mean, I find it annoying. If I mean, it's, it's the most annoying thing. If I'm already on a player plan, planning to bid like six dollars, and then he hits like two home runs or gets a save, I'm like, ah, well, there it goes that player for this week. I'm, I'm not, not getting, getting him, him anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I remember Rob. He always he said one time. I remember in a pod, it was like I always looked at like Zimmerman's list, and if a guy wants not on it, then I'm like, oh yeah, I, I can get this guy cheap. <laughs> It's like if he's like doubled up high on Vlad and Mines, he's like, you know, you're hosed. And yeah, um, there's you guys drive the market. I try not. To, yeah, he puts a dollar value. The one thing with mine is we've been found out just like with NFBC, it's kind of just I have to kind of go for the other markets too to kind of get yeah. them. They said that big boys, the big boy ads, I didn't, or big kid ads. Um, I do actually started becoming extremely popular because it kind of became like the ads for the shallow teams the next week. So it didn't have a lot of steam to begin with and we almost dropped it. And then it just like took off. Rob, you're muted. Look at that. Look at that. I didn't even know that. Rob's been talking for like 20 minutes. <laughs> He's trying to cut in on us. Shut up. <laughs> Listen here, meatballs. <laughs> I don't my wife was coming in and dogs usually go crazy. So it's like uh mayhem. So uh I muted it for that reason. I'm just been like listening to you guys since then. <laughs> oh man. That's great. Um, so you guys into some early drafts. Uh, you're in your first draft right now. Draft and hold. Yeah, the first one together. I did a best ball on the um, on Fantrax best ball. Yeah, it was one of um, Smada's early ones. I just had to get that draft itch out of the way. Right. Ten bucks take, took care of it. It's like if I lost it, if I lose the ten bucks, donate it to him or probably Derek Rhodes will probably take my money. You know, in the way how he <laughs> handles that, it's just like. It was just worth it, so I don't have to spend 150 bucks on a best, you know, on another draft later. It's like just get it out of my system, and I can move on, deal with the book. 
on the it has been hard. I missed the whole gladiator thing because we were working on the book and I just kind of was hoping they would keep that open, but I missed the whole boat on that. That's like, seems like a perfect format. Kind of said I missed it. It really is. I had to speed up all my projection stuff. I was seeing everyone drafting gladiators and draft boards, Rob drafting. I'm like, gotta get my stuff ready. I gotta start doing these. I got them done just in time to yeah. do a bunch of them. But yeah, I mean, I had to, they, they were done early. Was it by Christmas they were sold out basically? 50? Yeah. Something. Like, didn't you end up doing like 50 of them or something? I did uh, 32. Okay. I had, I, I did all the slow drafts basically in like a two week period. Um, I think there was like one starting every, I, I guess three starting every two days roughly. Um, but yeah, I had probably 20 going at the same time. Oh <laughs> it seems overwhelming, but after cause the, um, in NFBC, you can upload your rankings in the, in the draft software. So I just uploaded my rankings in there. And I had um, text alerts when I was up. So I just get a text. I'd open up the, my teams, click on it. And like, you don't have to worry about, I honestly didn't even worry about categories. So I probably have some teams that are way, way too much power. Um, I mean, for, for 50 bucks, I wasn't going to like keep track of everything in the spreadsheet. It wasn't worth it. Um, and I, I mean, I kind of eyeballed it. Um, I couldn't tell if I was low on speed or something. So, uh, but I just like open up on my phone that the draft software okay he's my top guy i'm taking him um so it kind of worked on actually in those i regressed my rankings to adp so when i started there were probably 20 of them done um so the adp was pretty good so i could regress them like 80 percent to adp so i wouldn't always end up being on the same guys i just take the values that would drop uh, and the players i kind of like but um i thought i thought zach was crazy for having so many drafts going on at the same time but um when you do it, um, you kind of realize it's not it's not as bad as it seems from the outside. I kind of wish them or I, I figured like Fantrax could just jump in and do it like just standalones on them, even at yeah. like 20 bucks. And I, I think that someone would make a kill because it's like the shorter rounds. Um, everyone kind of knows the roto values and just be like drop down, a, you know, first and a second yeah. place or, you know, top three places and just don't have to do an overall, but I think the, I had talked to Greg at the NFC. I was like, I wanted them to do a 50 at like a two, $250 price point, just kind yeah. of a, and I was like, Oh, you know, it's like, just you guys, you know, it'd just be more money in it. And um, just a smaller player pool, but they said just no one was doing the draft and hold. So they kind of had the, they weren't going to do it this year. They said the, yeah. The other league was taking everybody's attention. So I know, I know they increased the overall for the draft champions, so they expect more teams this year. Um, I still wonder, like, if, if the draft champion sells like crazy over the next month and a half, if, like, early March, like, if everything's on pace, if they're not going to say we're going to do a body year or two. Do some like, more. Yeah. But I can I, see them also do it, like, the last week, last yeah. two weeks. Just reopen it, and everyone can just go to town. Yeah, because they—I mean—they are shorter drafts than the draft champions. Because I know they, because they shut down the draft champions a little bit earlier, so they could always, um, by the time they they're supposed to shut down, say like the the four hour, the two hour draft champions say we're going to run gladiators because they take half the time and do I don't know how many drafts they could do, but um, either standalone leagues or something like that at that point. 
don't know, just Constant throwing, throwing, live, throwing ideas that. out there. They had 42 DC to the end of December last year, and I think they had 47 completed by the end of this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So even even with the Gladiator push, um, I don't know if people were holding out last year because of the labor dispute and they didn't want to do any early drafting or whatever, but even with that, I honestly don't think it affects it because I think it's really anyone who does, does like large-volume DCs is doing these large-volume Gladiators. You know, so I, I still think that people would do both leagues because I think the draft champions is popular for the for what it is. You know, it's getting to project like um, a full season of what you may think happens on every single level of baseball and looking down what may happen in September and picking up guys for that reason or speculative save guys. So I don't think that like. I don't think that loses that popularity or the entries to it because everyone loves to play it. I think it really, um, because they started earlier this year, they started like right when the season ended. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how many drafts they had done by like mid-November. So they probably, I mean, I don't know if it was like 15 or 20, but there's a bunch that were done before. um, I mean, before they started last year at at the same date. Um, So they probably just saw the signups really slow down compared to the pace they were on. Well, I don't know if it's just like the gladiator thing is new. We're going to do that. And then we're going to go do DCs. Um, I know in my case, I don't do, um, I mean, I'll, I don't do the 150 DCs. I don't do that many DCs. So, it, I mean, in my case, it's just extra, extra money for them. And I know like, like Zach, for example, he does DCs, but he at least is probably going to limit to some extent that the number of lineups he sets, but the gladiators are just extra entries that you can do. So, um, it might have been just a, a question of letting the DC pace pick up, or um, the problem with the DC is they guarantee the money, so uh, they guarantee the overall price. So if they if they undershoot, then it's it's money they lose. So they, they probably just wanted to be careful and not risk um, creating a new contest where they don't make that much money and then end up losing. I don't know, fifteen to twenty thousand. They 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 don't meet the. Um, the minimum number of entries to, to guarantee the, the price pool. Um, I don't know. It's, we'll see. Things can change. Things can change, just like the Russian did at the end of Rocky Four, <laughs> And Rocky changed too. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was just on the other day, and I watched it. it was like, if I could change, you could change. We all could change. Um, anyway, um, have you guys seen any, any, any positions so far in early, in your early draft seasons that look a little weak, look a little strong, anyone you like particular more than the other? Jeff. Um, I have to do obviously third base. Yeah. Obviously third base is weak. Everyone's kind of noticed it. It's even, um, just a heads up. We'll have to see. You got some lab problems. I got my kids coming in, so who knows if they're going to come in, coming in loud or soft. But we'll see how it goes. Um, the um, there's obviously a drop off there, and there's only like eight that are kind of in that top section. So like half the teams in a 15 team league are going to have to deal with not having a good third baseman. So it's like I kind of think those top ones are going to get pushed up even more. So. I think everyone kind of has to have a plan 
with the bottom ones. Um, otherwise, I don't know. There's the outfield is the more I dig into it, doing my I have to do the positional rankings at fan graphs. I find like we're going to have some clarity by the beginning of the year. We just don't know how some things are, and maybe they're all going to end up in platoons. But I think that it's not as it won't end up as bad as it seems right now. But we just are like, well, who's got this job? Detroit's kind of got a mess. Arizona's got a mess. I don't know if they're all going to stay that way, but I think um, it's going to be. Um, I don't know. What are you thinking, Tanner? Why well, yell at? see what my kids are doing here what's up i had pretty much the same observations that third base is like the one i because so to some extent the way i answered this was do i see values at the position not necessarily you know um deep or whatnot because i think sometimes that can get you'll hear like oh you got to get a strong second baseman by this spot or whatever but so I'll be fine taking a second baseman late as long as they're showing as a value at the time. Um, so third was really the one position where I just values were not really popping um, the way they were on some of the others. And I think outfield was even showing value, but I think I didn't, if I adjusted it for, you know, saying I need five of these instead of just one or two, then those probably go away pretty quickly too. Um, so yeah, nothing really unique to offer there. Third and outfield are probably going to be the challenge to figure out. Is a video? Yeah, I think it. Um, I think it really depends on the contest. Um, because before I did my first DC, I heard everyone say how um outfield is shallow. You have to get your outfielders, um, and third base as well. But like I realized, once you get to pick. I don't know, 450 to 550. Um, there's a bunch of platoon guys that are there in the outfield, um, but they aren't there at shortstop, for example, because there's so many elite shortstops that, um, I mean, they're, you don't have platoon at shortstops because if there's, what, like 15 elite ones um, that won't have a partner, I guess. Um, or it's the outfield, there's a bunch of them late. So it really depends on the format. Um, and that's why I kind of chuckle every time I see something on Twitter about, uh, I don't know, second baseman being bad. Um, I mean, it's all, it's all relative. I mean, it's, I think there's values at every position. If there's no elite guys, then it usually means there's more depth. Um, and you can find your guys there. Um, so it really depends on how many teams are in the league to determine what's what's shallow what's deep um the one position i i said this on twitter that you have to be careful about when you're drafting in dc i think it's shortstop because after say nico horner who is the 17th shortstop off the board he goes at 138 and sometimes he's gonna get pushed up so say like round eight or nine if you don't get one of those in the first round, eight or nine rounds, um, then you go down to Javi Baez, Estrada, Mateo, CJ Abrams, say, okay, well, they're not just going to try to grab two of those. 
Um, and then they say, well, I don't feel that good. Maybe if I have like Abrams and, Abrams and Stott, I feel okay. But they're young guys. You never know. Okay, I'll grab a third one. And then there just aren't that many guys after that. Um, so I think it's one position where I have to be, I try to be careful and try to get one of those guys in the first eight, nine rounds, which sounds easy, but it isn't all the time. Cause you want to get your pitchers, you want to get your closers, and then you don't want to force a shortstop. If you're picking late, you want to, you don't want to jump one or all that stuff. So, um, as far as DC, it's one position I'm kind of more concerned about, but once we get to main events, these seasons and we're, we're only worried about our CR 12 non-catching started and we're pretty much done by around 20 um it's I think it's me different story and those positions that everyone's talking about being more shallow the third base the second base the outfield um is going to be a lot more apparent at that point but I don't think at this point in terms of DC season it's as appropriate what what everyone's talking about sorry long-winded answer I don't know if that made sense or not no, it doesn't make sense. Steve, you want to talk at all? <laughs> it's up to you. No, no pressure. Well, the time is right, Rob. All when right. I, have... I, t- <laughs> I, I didn't know. I didn't know if you know everyone was just being a little too, you know, you know, microphone hogging. So just, just boss your way around. Just, just, it's Appreciate all good. that. I know it's like you introduced me as a host, but I don't know what I'm supposed to because I'm not used to being a host. So I just answer the question <laughs> and I ask questions when it when it's green in, in the in the, <laughs> the word doc. But if, if you guys want me to shut up, I'll stop talking. <laughs> no, I mean, I wanted you to do the introduction and like act like you and me, but you said you wouldn't be able to do it. But the robot's got good microphone skills. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, um, hey, hey, meatballs! I got a, I got a Rob's rant today. <laughs> uh, all right. So, what about some starting pitcher strategies for twelve versus fifteen team leagues? You guys, have any rule of thumb that you usually like to stick to? Do you have any idea of, you know, what you may want to do in the upcoming draft season? Um, I think there's kind of two things that doesn't feel right for like a lot of people, but it's two of my do. I will probably have in every draft, 10 pitchers and 10 hitters after the 20th round, even though like that not 10th pitchers going to my bench. I just think like those last four hitters over the last 10 rounds, it's very fungible, like a catcher. They're probably going to go with another middle infielder, probably one of your last outfielders, maybe two of them or a couple guys for your bench. So I think that's one thing that it's like, I'll just keep kind of pounding the pitching, but it doesn't, the more I do it, the more I kind of like it. Um, it's kind of weird in auctions because you only get the nine, but you have to go pick catchers and, you know, get your second catcher and deal with all that. And it seems like during those reserve rounds, it's like just three rounds of people picking pitchers as they try to get up. Um, for the difference between, I do it both with the 12s and the 15s. Like I've done so many 12s. I still don't like streaming off the wire. It's better than the 15s, but it's still not like great. So if I have my ideal team where everyone's healthy, it would be like five pitchers. And I want two healthy hitters to be able to plug in during possible matchups or if someone gets hurt. But usually, you know, 
you're not able to cover your whole lineup with just those two spots, just those two hitters. So you have to have that or someone, you know, is hurt. So you can't count on them or a couple of your guys in your lineup are day to day. So you want to have another hitter, but if everything's great, I just want five starters that I kind of stream in and can get those two start weeks and two hitters in case someone gets hurt. I have a question for Jeff. Did you find in the 12 last year that people tend to keep more pitchers on their bench because you can, you can kind of stream hitters from your starting lineup. Um, do you find like the split of other teams being different than in the 15 or is it, or is it about the same or you have no idea? I think they hoarded them. The one thing I'll notice with the 15s, it, it doesn't start this way, but after about two months, if anyone's isn't like a star, if you didn't draft them in the first 10 rounds, they're on the wire. If they're hurt. Like people just dump. Um, say, say, say Suzuki. I remember on my 12s, it was like, he's got to go, but there's no way we drop him on our 15s because it's just the replacement level just doesn't exist. There's just no one that good there. So I think that's kind of one of the differences. But there at the beginning of the season, you're like, oh, I need to keep these guys. And it's like, no, you just stream and try to get the best guys you can. Um, unless they're just complete difference makers. So that's me. I'd probably be very much the same on 15s, and I don't play 12s, so you got to take anything I say with a grain of salt. But to me, it seems like you could go heavy on pitching pretty early to kind of lock in, you know, the core part of your your nine by getting like four or five, six guys that you can ride the whole year, then kind of stay away, but maybe, you know, go hitting for quite a while then, and then kind of tuck back into pitching at the end. Still, I think you would still want to try to get the same quantity of guys, like ending up with maybe as many as half of them, your, um, or going heavier on your bench, pitchers and hitters, um, in hoping you could stream from the bench, because you're if you get four, five, six guys, and you don't really need that many to be going into your lineup that often. But if you take you know educated bets with those guys on your bench, the ones that may rise into being good enough to crack your top six, um, I think that's what I would probably try for. You don't want to have to stream Falif, um but it seems like it, you could lock in those top guys, invest in hitting in the middle, and then come back to pitching late. I like it. What about the closer position? I mean, it's 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 the one thing. I think last year in my twelve-team leagues, where I wanted to maybe take an extra pitcher, I tended to go with an early closer instead, but. Thankfully, like I hit on some later pitches, so I don't know how that well that works if I don't hit on like good depth in the back end of my staff. But um, I know I did notice that they're able to find them on the wire a lot easier in the twelve team leagues. But um, I don't know if you guys had a particular angle with that. Um, I still think it's kind of what I talked about previously is. I want at least one. It's really tough to kind of be streaming both of them from the beginning and making up a ton during the year. Like if at the end you only had one 
and you've got to go like three closers at the end to kind of make up ground. Um, that's doable, but if you've got to just completely drop all your starters, I think that that's uh, you'll just maybe start falling behind in the strikeouts and and so forth. The one thing in 12s and 15s or whatever, if I've got like three lockdown closers, that's who they are. I'm rolling them out until I kind of know, looking at like historic values that I can start backing off. Cause who knows when they're going to disappear. I had Tanner Rainey last year. I didn't even know. Like he's like, Oh, he's hurt. Like next hour. It's like, he's got Tommy John. Like, where did that come from? But it was, um, it's like you have saves until you don't. So I just, I roll them out until I kind of see what my total is. And then if you're in a trade league, trading league, you can trade them off. If not, you can put them to your bench or you can just put them on the wire and let people fight over, fight over them. So use up their fab, but that's just the one thing. If I've got them locked down, I use them. And if I, and if I'm like, um, what do I want to say? Like speculating on them. I try not to start them unless that's better than my starting pitching options. I don't really want, especially in the 12, you can't just be running a middle reliever out. It's, if you're at that point in the season and you haven't been able to find some in a 12, you're in pretty rough shape. That's all I'm going to say is like in a 15, I can understand, but in a 12, you should be able to find some, you should have found someone at that point. If you're really thinking a middle reliever is the right option. Yeah. I think it's, nobody's going to really be able to come out with two unless you over allocate, I think. And I don't think that's really the right move. So I think you got to, get one of the top 12 ish guys. I think there's something, something around that many. Um, and then get half closers after that. Um, one thing that I think did cost us a little bit, I don't remember which team it was, if it was main or the auction, but when we were speculating on a guy, we would put him in our lineup and then he'd get no saves. And we fell behind in strikeouts doing that. So I think, this year we need to, if we pick up a guy, he's got to just kind of ride the pine until we know a little bit more and then keep a starter in that spot um, and not be putting those guys right in our lineup. I think we've all made that mistake before. Where <laughs> He looks like the closer. <laughs> I know. I still remember um, Caleb Peelbar. Still remember uh, that. You just love saying that guy's name. I know, I love it. For, you from, love it, you love it. It was two years ago where some questions about who their closer was, their best reliever, the usage kind of showed he could be the next guy up. And then I I think I started him. I picked him up, started him, because I had no better options, really. And he comes in the seventh or whatever it was. And <laughs> you you have to spend, and that's, that have, always happens on the Monday or Tuesday, so you have to spend the next five days knowing you have like a dead spot in your roster reliever who isn't that good who's not going to get you a save and just maybe pray for a win but um we've all made that mistakes we get so attached to players that we spend time analyzing we sure we got it right um and i remember i i'm jeff you probably feel the same way i made that same comment to vlad last year i'm like you're because vlad has a tendency to, to spend his money early in fab um and he said it himself but when you spend hours every weekend writing an article about every player, looking deep into every player, projecting bids for those players, I mean, it's human nature. You're going to get attached to those players. 
and you feel like you have to bid and you're like, Hey, I, this guy's a must add. I need to, I need to have him. Um, and then you end up bidding more early and then you kind of lose track of the whole, um, how long the season is, I guess. Um, whereas when you're just doing stuff for yourself, um, you don't, it doesn't happen as much. I think it happens for relievers because I tend to look more into those. But for players, I'll usually just follow what my numbers say. When you're just following the numbers, you don't get attached to players as much as, as you do when you're when you're looking at that launch angles, looking whatever roles and all that deeper stuff, I guess, in season. Um, or pitch mix or velo for a starting pitcher. Um and so on. You get you get attached to players and it's human nature and you just bid and you're convinced he's the closer. You put him in your lineup or convinced he's gonna start playing every day and he starts on the Monday and then sits for three days in a row or and so on. But um anyways. Yeah, I don't know if I get con- convinced on the guys. There's definitely ones that it's like I'll sit there and I'll be like, oh, I want this guy, and then I look, especially like on a 12, it's like he's really no better than anyone on my team but i gotta kind of have to remember him for like the 15s it's kind of like where they fit in um the one rule i kind of i don't know how annoying tanner is with it but i try to save like i kind of have two fab pools one for like each week just to kind of make moves at like 20 bucks so it's like half my fab dollars and then the other half is for like players just that pop up like overspending the 40 or whatever but usually i like i start with the 20 and it's like yeah none of these guys are difference makers so i just spend the 20 and try to go that route but sometimes it's like oh we could push this up and it's like i'm kind of like well we need to save the 20s for other weeks you know and kind of get our guys so it's um you can kind of look at the rest of the league like we push the number down like if the rest of the league's just spending heavily and it's like okay we've kind of got the advantage so let's just go ahead and take it but um, other times it's like, I kind of feel like you kind of have to just kind of go early sometimes and um, get your guys. And sometimes that's just going to cost a little bit more than otherwise. I think I was kind of on Kyle, Wright, Like I kind of noticed the changes and he was throwing strikes and I was just like, well, let's just jump in here and hope for the best. So. That kind of worked out. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. I guess um, something I guess that I was thinking about is I know that we tend to start, you know, three relievers more in a 15 team league than a 20 team league, uh, 12 team league. And I guess um, maybe more teams will have two good closers on a 12 team league. Um, But like the 80th percentile for, saves um for like 12 teams versus 15 team leagues i guess i thought that because we i guess it's just like a mind fuck a little bit like to think that we start three closers um a lot and that you i guess you i thought like you just have more saves that way but it's really more in the 12 team leagues Is the 80 percentile that much higher in the in the? Is it different that much different in the 12 and the 15? Um, 
this year was uh, 72 to 67. So 72 saves for 80th percentile in 12s and 67 okay. for mains. I would guess it's because that third closer, like, what are they getting? They're getting five to 10 saves, and that's right. your difference. Yeah. Yeah. I guess because I know, like, most of the time you're just riding two guys in a 12. So I guess there's just more of a chance that, that you're linking up with two guys who are going to bring that save total up. And like Jeff mentioned on the wire, just picking up anyone that's getting dumped by a guy who doesn't need saves. Just, I guess just a little easier that way. Yeah. You can always find some right at the end. It's just, if you can make it up and if they're going to be good, like yeah. the guy still may be like, Oh, I've got, Soto and Edwin Diaz, like, okay, I've got enough that if Diaz just keep kind of going as he is, he's fine. So I'm going to put Soto out there. So then you've got to start Soto, you know, for your saves at the end and good luck with that. I think part of it might be if you, if we look at it the, the other way from, from starting pitchers, um, like your, your seventh start is going to be better in the 12. So if you have a decision between choosing your seventh start in 12 and a reliever that you think is going to get, say, 30% of the saves. You're going to lead towards a starter more because he's better. Whereas in the 15, your seventh starter, if you feel, feel terrible about him, if he's got a bad matchup, you're going to say, well, I'm going to start this reliever because at least he won't kill my ratios and maybe he'll pick up a save. So that's probably part of it where um, why the gap isn't that big. Um, at least that's one situation I can think of where, where it can make a difference. Yeah, and, and the way they kind of get moved around, I don't know what the save total. I guess there's this website called Fangraphs. Just give me a second here. <laughs> Leaders pitching. What's the difference between the 24th save total and the 30th? 24th was 15, and the 30th was 11. What was the difference, Rob? Like six? Yep, yeah. five. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's almost the difference between what the difference in closers there were. Because even those in 12th, if you got the 24th guy, you're only getting 15 saves. I mean, there's players moving in and out, but it's it's just kind of not – I mean, it's only 10 with over 30. You're not getting 30, you know, save yeah. guys. But I'd love to see, like, when I'm, I, I brought the same pitch as you did, but, like, the guys that are around that range, like the, say, Montero, um, Finnegan, um, Ian Kennedy, like, they got uh, 14, 11, and 10 saves. Like, what percentage of those saves um, were were rostered in 15 versus 12? Um, and, I, like, Finnegan was, like – back and forth for a while, closing, not closing, closing. In 15s, I think a lot of teams just kept him in the lineup, whereas in 12s, you probably just kept them on the bench because you didn't want to mess with it. Um, like, just looking at those names, there seems to be a lot of guys that stand out that you'd kind of, like Gallegos was probably a start all year um, in a 15, whereas in a 12, it was in and out um, or not even, like, mostly on the bench, I think. That definitely makes sense. Uh, all right, Phil, you're up on the deck again. All right. Um, so this question James Anderson asked me on the Rotowire pod, what's the most 
common mistake that other players make and like the stupidest Twitter analysis um, that you <laughs> oh, see. Oh boy, here we go. Blood Jeff. <laughs> Just bait me, man. Yeah. I know. That was kind of a goal. Question. I'm like, oh, James asked me this question. He, he didn't mention the stupid Twitter part, but I know, I know Jeff's going to like that. He's going to go. <laughs> He's going to give us some good stuff. And I want you to go first before, at least maybe you might take some of the stuff I might. You could soften the response a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Let him calm down. Um, <laughs> I think. I have this, uh, I'm going to speak with hyperbole, but for the most part, I think most analysis is kind of a waste of time. Um, in, you know, it's the, the big long articles with all the, the heat maps and the, the different, um, launch angles, spray charts, all the, the stat cast graphs, all that stuff is, it's just a way to fill time, I think. Um, and at the end of the day, all that matters to me is that player's projection and all that stuff feeds into it. And a lot of that stuff's accounted for. And I think people just use it the wrong way. And I think it misguides people. And um, if you don't have the some kind of valuation or projection to anchor you to look at players objectively, I think all that stuff is just a trap to feed into you making bad decisions, double counting things, rationalizing things. Um, there's a confirmation bias. Like, I think that's all largely a trap. Um, all that matters to, it's maybe overly simplistic, but all I think we're really trying to do is figure out, has somebody changed? And we want to figure out if somebody's changed faster than everyone else can figure it out. Um, and then how well, or what do I think is going to happen with their playing time? Like at the end of the day, if you can figure those things out a little bit better or a little bit faster than everybody else, I think you have a big advantage. And I don't think like, yes, using StatCast and some of that can help you if somebody's changed, but I don't know if that that's really how people are using it at the end of the day. Um, so that's that's my um, most common mistake that I think people make. Um, let me see. They use they talk ERA like it should never be mentioned. <laughs> Bringing that one up, it's just like someone's like, "Oh, you had to see." I you take the stat with the least season to season reliability and you're basing your decision off of it like move on or at least know why it's higher or lower but um i think one that really bugs me is it's like steamer has this guy with this many plate appearances and um it's like steamer is just like the underlining projection it's I mean, he does a great job. It's Jason Martinez sets the playing time. And it's like Rudy Gamble takes the exact same projections over at Rasball and puts his own playing time with it. There's no like better projection. You know, it's like, it's not like how um, they're doing it. And I think also it's like, sometimes it's like, well, the person behind Steamer, you know, gave him this many home runs. And it's like, there's no person behind it. It's like all just, <laughs> formulas waiting off certain years and it's just like i think they've just 
some understanding of how projections and the playing times are set. It's just, um, I don't know, that, that kind of just drives me nuts sometimes. It's just like, um, I don't know about trying to, I, I'm actually going through my list of stuff I like and I just, some of it I can't state. Um, <laughs> well, here's another one. I, I don't know what Phil, he's won an overall competition. Actually, we, you guys have done very well in overall competitions. How many, I want, uh, can you guys answer this question? How many chances did you have to take in the early rounds to win or place good in overall competitions? Not the tables on you. Oh, All four yeah. of you have. Steve, have you actually, Steve is the only one that hasn't won an overall, right? But he's been the, up toward the top. He's, he's missed their second place. I know. That's where I'm at, too. I can't get that number one yet. I didn't take many chances up at the top in the in the draft champions I won. Um, it was more, you know, I my biggest thing was that I hit on, you know, two speculative closers in late round. I didn't pay up for closers. My first closer came in round 13, I think it was. Um, Keone Keela. And then I got <laughs> Ryan Presley and Matt, and Matt Barnes. I just... Um, it was my first DC I ever played, and my goal was to just win the league. And my goal was to just get enough, maybe speculative saves to, and, and just really focused on offense and, you know, uh, hit on Bauer and Lynn. I think back Habak, and they just gave me a lot of innings. You know, obviously that ended up being a short season, um, but I didn't, you know, I didn't draft for the short season. I drafted for the very long season. The draft I did in March was, you know, counted for that shorter season. So that was my anticipation was to just you know, try to play it like that. So up at the top, I was really, you know, I played it really safe. I was, you know, going like baseball HQ by the Mayberry method, just really like clean health um, portfolio. Everything was as safe as I could play it. And then I, the shot late helped me, you know, well, Corbin Burns and, at pick 450 helped, but uh, I'll probably never have a draft like that again where I just everything landed like that. Like the, everything you described is um, Rob Silver analyzed my draft that was at first pitch, uh, I guess a year and a half ago. Um, where I mean, my first 15 picks or something were basically neutral, just hitting value and not missing on too much. And then I won it because my picks from probably around 16 to 25. And I think that's where you start taking chances where anyways, like in rounds, probably 16 to 20, at least like half those guys are going to be dropped by July, roughly. I don't have the exact numbers, but I remember looking at it. Um, so that's where you take chances. That's where leagues are one. That's where you, you hit a pick there where half the team is going to half the league is going to drop their guy by, um, by July and you get a Cy Young winner or you get a top 10 starting pitcher um, like this year, whether it's Christian Walker, Nesta Cortez, or I, I think that's where leagues are won. And that's how you won your DC Rob. With, I mean, you said Burns was a huge difference maker in those closers. Um, I think that's where leagues are won, not, not in the first 15 rounds. And we've talked about like how um, 
he said how how some people um Jeff, you're talking about like um Judge and Strider. I know Strider was a pickup, but um I've I mean I've seen some boards where people hit on their first four or five picks, like literally the best four or five picks you could have made, and they still don't win their league. Um sure it helps, and but I I think leagues are won in in later rounds. Steve, are you around? Yeah, I'm here. Um, What's your number one? So, oh, that's. So I was just uh, listening to the <laughs> listening to the champs and taking notes. Taking notes. <laughs> yeah. I had two too, but no, that's just one. Like it's like, oh, he's got a high ADP. People are taking chances for the overall, and it's like, like everyone that's won the overall didn't really take chances yeah. in like their first like fifteen picks. And it's like, oh, they're taking chances later on. I think one thing I see is like, oh, I took a chance with this rookie at this pick and like he's not in the majors. So I have to draft someone crappy later <laughs> to fill in at, you know, or fill in an outfield or even it doesn't be someone horrible. Let's say they take a chance on, um, I don't know how it's going to work out with Harper, but you have to pick up an outfielder, take Harper's spot later on instead of just drafting a good outfielder then, then taking a chance yeah. on maybe Votto, like, you know, he's going to get back to his power. I don't have no clue, but it's like taking chances like that later and just having your, and not having your studs early on. I don't know. I, I just, I think some people have taken some chances, but I don't, I don't know if anyone really has to like the extent that I think people that haven't wanted or haven't been close to be like, no, like pretty much everyone's played it straight up. That I know of. And to go off of that, it's like when people are saying, Oh, I'm, I'm going for the overall. And look at you have like six really obvious injury risks, like all gamble, like the, the YOLO team, basically. The odds of all those guys hitting are basically none. Um, and you say, Well, I only need like two of them to hit to, to pay off. Well, if the other four zeros, it the other two could be Aaron Judge, and it's not going to work out, especially in a draft champions. Um, so, if you want to take like if you want to take a shot on on Buxton, yeah, go for it. But take like one early shot. Don't pair up Buxton with with Stanton, with uh, with Montesi, with uh, with John Birdie, or whatever else you can, or like all the other young guys and and so on. But um, yeah, I, I like that one, Jeff. So you got any, any more for us? Oh, let me throw okay, mm-hmm. just a, Oh, that one I brought up today, the whole first round. Me and Rob went over that pretty good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um projection. I have a lot of stuff on projections. We already talked about one closers not being in single category contributors or some of them. Oh, yeah. Um another one, it's kind of weird that some people will have their ranks, but then they're like, my rank's too far off the ADP, so I'm going to change my rank. Like, I just find that really weird. Like, if you're on a guy and he's above that, like, why don't you just take them? I can, the one thing I could say, which may actually be helpful, is like, if you did like project, if you intentionally did that for everyone, took, ADP and um, 
your projections and like made a projection out of that. I think there's some usefulness there, but not just like, oh, my rank's here, but you know, everyone else has them here. So I'm going to move them down. Like if your guy's higher, just draft them all the time. Like there's no need to move them down to what everyone else has. Like no problem looking out of place. And then you miss out on him if, if his ADP gets pushed up. Yeah, that's, yeah, I don't think anything else I could probably say online. We'll just let them go. But the one that just came up in my mind that, that I see all the time on Twitter is like, uh, uh, here are the 10 pitchers that had above this, below this, or above this. And then you see the list of like seven good pitchers and three shitty ones. And then you're supposed to believe that the other three are as amazing as the other seven. At least that's what the, the list leads you to believe. But there is a reason that those three pitchers aren't very good. There is something else that you didn't list in your three stats that those pitchers don't do well, that the other seven do well. Um, sure, you can sometimes you can kind of see a young guy, but there's always a reason. Like oftentimes it's it's playing time or injury risk. And it, I mean, that, that one bugs me personally. And I see Tanner nodding. I think you agree with, with you, you've seen that a lot before. <laughs> yep. It's all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I saw one recently that was like, uh, in the second half, hitters with like over 80 uh, plate appearances, hard hit over 31%, K rate under 22, contact over 80 and 8.3% throw rate. And there's like all these stars and then Eric Hosmer. Yeah, yeah um, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, that one, was, that one was kind of funny. I mean, I, I get people that like a lot of the, the people that put that out there are content creators. Like you have to put that out there and a lot of people replied and find it interesting. I mean, I personally, I just ignore it because it's not, it's not for me. But I, I, I don't want to shit on everyone who puts out those kind of tweets. I do get the point that you yeah. have. Yeah, that's good that you said that, that. That one was Rob's. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did I do? He was trying to take his nap so he could make eight hours, and that would freaking make, make it in front of him in his nap time. <laughs> No, but I know you were doing it. That your Hosmer tweet uh, as an oh, example yeah, yeah. of like yeah. just putting together a bunch of you know stats and finding some random person that doesn't belong. Um, it's great. But I know I know you were doing it not to actually suggest that people draft or take a closer look at Eric Hosmer, but just for fun. Wait, I think I'll try. And, I drafting? think I'll try and come up with one in the next few days where I can just find like like the the shittiest player I can and think of look what single stat he was he was good at and then just build the list off of that <laughs> so it's gonna be the crappy player we're gonna, well we'll have to see you, you'll have to not let everyone know no. that'll be the key but i challenge you to do it with tony kemp I guess you'd probably thing. do something with like with like sprint speed with walk rate with K rate. He's not fast. <laughs> he's actually not fast at all. No, he's not fast. Uh, not even. Did he have yeah. double digit steals though? I think. Yeah. I think you can go with that. Fine, I'll I'll do it with stolen bases per opportunity or something. <laughs> <laughs> I I, I got it. I'll I'll find some some players that I that I that I don't like that are that my my system says are really overvalued and try to pump them up that way. <laughs> My whole thing is it's cool if you want to do the whole content thing, but just don't ever admit that you're not a good player. 
<laughs> Who are you talking about, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it goes to what I said. Like, so you're good at making articles that don't matter, I think, is what I would say. Because <laughs> um, if you're a good player, you would kind of realize that to some extent, all the, the, the pretty charts don't don't drive the fantasy value. Um, and it is, you, you're just being deceived, kind of like what we're saying. Some filters pinged off this player and put them in a group with other people, but there's a lot of other reasons that aren't in the pretty charts that it's not a good choice. Uh, yeah. And I, yeah. So, well, I'm just going to say, being on the content side, it was um, kind of took a promotion at Fangraphs, but my one thing was to do rankings. And I was just like, I don't like them. And they're like, but everyone else does and they drive views. And it's just like kind of been the hardest thing. So some people may be to like get a paycheck forced to do more than they want to, or like they don't feel like they have to. Like, I mean, I think everything I try to write, I feel like is helpful for me. Well, everything's actionable that you write. Right. That's what I think is the big differentiator. And like, you'll see a lot of times where content creators are saying they're stressed out or they can't handle it. They got to step aside. Um, and they're trying to start their own thing or whatnot. I, just write when you've got something good to say. I know if you're on a schedule and paycheck <laughs> and whatnot, you can't do that. But like, um, if you're trying to start your own site, like come at us with something meaningful, not just, you know, one player at a time i can i because i don't waste my time on reading a lot of that stuff because i can look at a projection and get to largely the same spot and a lot of that stuff's already accounted for in there um so i don't know like how many how many data points do you guys think that like steamer uses to make a home run projection like there's got to be a lot and then um mm-hmm. we're gonna expect that a like 150 character Twitter um, or a stat gas graph is going to be able to find a sleeper that steamer would not have found with however many data points he used to project home runs. Like it's, I mean, the small edges I found are, I've probably tested like, I want to say 200 different things. Like it's, and most of it ends up being it works one year, it doesn't work the next year. Because they're changing too, they're morphing as yeah. they go. They're bringing in Statcast, and yeah, exactly, yeah. And yes, you can you can look at a steamer projection, criticize it, and I don't think any of us believe, say, the Patrick Corbin projection this year, um, or um, like some that the the players coming up for, um, come out from overseas, or some that the young players are. Are, are a little high, but if you average a couple of sets of projections um, or if you figure out the weaknesses in, in, in Steamer more in terms of the environment as opposed to specific players, I think that's a bigger edge than, um, than like, like you said, focusing on trying to find one stat that Steamer might not account for and um, think you found the secret sauce because you probably didn't. And that's, I go through way too many articles for like mining the news. And it's like, 
every time, like sometimes I'll put something that might be interesting or I went to, and it's like, that doesn't change projections. Like everything I try to put money in the news will, tr I think someone may take it into account when changing their projections. A lot of things are just plain time based. Um, but it's like, I would, it'd be interesting to see like people go through like 10 articles and try to pick out the 10 most important things out of them and see what different people would pick. And uh, I think it would, I, no one would do it. You know what I'm saying? But it's like, what actually is important in what you hear, or what you say. And um, I think last year I read the entire hitter section of the um, forecaster. And I think I had four pieces of information I added into my projections. And it's just like, well, I, I've got four more that, you know, like I didn't account for. I just wanted to make sure I didn't miss any injuries or something like that. But it's just like everything else is just kind of like, yeah, you know. It's okay, you mean not, you mean four for like for like four different players? Not yeah. Four, okay, not like four across the board that helped every player was four. No, no, four no, just okay. Four different players. I <laughs> okay. changed. Yeah. So I mean that's um and like I said, it's usually just like injuries or news that I didn't know about. You know, it's like, oh, he was maybe some people didn't catch on to the Taylor Ward running into the wall, he was hurt, healthy, then hurt, then healthy. And, you know, it's like, oh, you know, maybe your projections, you could take out that hurt section and add in his healthy stuff and assume he's going to come in healthy. Like, I think that that's something you could find out that isn't in the projections. What's your take, Jeff, on like all the, um, like this guy's working on a new pitch or this guy's improving his swing. I mean, I've always thought that we hear about, five percent of the changes that players make like we'll hear about um i don't know whichever player that will read in mining you is oh this player is um working on you change up or this player is changing the swing but i assume like any player at least half the players are trying to get better maybe just messing around with yeah. grips and trying to come up with a new pitch but we just don't read about them so most of them i just ignore that stuff because i figure at least half the league is doing it, if not more than that. And then the one we hear about, his ADP might jump up because it because we hear about it. But there's others that are doing it that we don't hear about. I don't know if it might take his right or not, but I usually try to ignore that stuff. Yeah, and some people really like like it. I may check up on him in spring training if I have time. Like if I'm watching him and seeing if it's actually good or if he's using them. I think that's the biggest thing. If some of the stadiums have the stat cast information. And if it's like, Oh, he's working on a curveball, And it's like, Oh, he threw it twice. Like, yeah, he's not really working <laughs> on a curveball. Like, so that's where I kind of draw the line too, is like, you hope to look up on something if they've got a long enough spring training, hopefully with some, a lot of the guys being in the um, WBC, the baseball classic that, hopefully we'll get some more stat cast information on them and not just the few parks that have it. So, um, yeah, it's the swing planes really tough with hitters for them to change. I think the only thing I've kind of noticed that seems to be measurable is if they can add some power and you can kind of see that with like changes in max exit velocity or, um, the swing plane, which is really tough to tell, but you can tell like by the end of the year, if it makes a difference or not. Otherwise, they're probably their plate dis discipline is going to go to shit. They're just getting older. 
they're swinging for the fences. I think that that that's even tough for them to change, but man, when it goes, it goes fast. Yeah. All right, Steve, I think you're up. It's your time to shine. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> oh man. Okay. All right. There you go. Um, so I came up with a question. It's in red. Uh, that means that I read it. Um, so I don't know if you guys actually uh, aggregate projections or not, but since Tanner, you made the projection aggregator that a lot of people use, um, which is really helpful. And Jeff, you have that article on fan graphs about the accuracy of different projections. I was wondering like how you, you do or would put those together. So like if, if you're aggregating projections, like are you just using the best two or three? Do you want to use wisdom of the crowd and kind of bring in as many as possible? Um, and like what would the approach be on that? We're discussing that right now. Um, I would say we break the projections apart. So we we do aggregate playing time for what we trust. Um, so if, if it's a system that I think there's somebody that's manually paying close attention to team roster changes, they get included. I do not weight them just a straight up average. Um, Cause I haven't gone and studied is anybody more accurate than anyone else. And I don't know. I could imagine that would change drastically from year to year. It's probably luck. I don't know that anybody's got secret sauce there. Um, maybe one year they have more time than another, but I don't know if it's all perfect and I want to trust some kind of waiting there. So I would just playing time. I would aggregate. Um, we don't so much aggregate the skills. I'm not sure that that's right. Um, and so, I, I mean, I used to do all this. I used to aggregate it all. But now, one thing about Jeff and I is we actually work in Google Sheets, not Excel. So, dirty little secret there. Because um, <laughs> um, Excel online doesn't work too well with our sharing our stuff. Um, so, I had to learn new tricks in Google. Um, but, yes. Time to make sheets in, Go in, in Google, too. Uh, if I get time, that's on the list, but it's been on the list for five years. <laughs> um, skill, but we, yeah, we don't aggregate skills. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. Um, and, and we're even trying to figure out how we're going to handle skills. Because in the past, we've used something Jeff had created. Sometimes we'll just, it depends on the time of the year. If we're just getting going, we just use a base steamer right now that the bad acts just came out. So I don't know, we kind of flip around a little bit on the skills, but if there, if we have a reason to disagree with the skills, we'll, we will override, but we don't override very often. I don't even know if there were 20 players we would override a skill on last year. Um, but if we do find a nugget about somebody that we trust that we don't think is getting accounted for, we will, you know, bump up homers a little bit or something like that. Yeah. I think the one I remember, which we completely failed on taking him was on our because he was only supposed to face against righties and he had a big split against him. So we were just running his one handed split and that's what he did, but he just sucked. Like it projection didn't hit. 
Like that's what they did. And we were just hoping we could get a little better batting average out of him from that split and um, use that for an advantage. We may move pitchers a lot more too. Um, Yeah. I kind of had those extra factors working in and it would, it was kind of all based off steamer. And then I would send him to Tanner and he's like, what the hell are these? So we're working on them together right now. It's like kind of understanding where they come from and what the changes are um, to incorporate them. So. Yeah. Cause pitching I mean, is so dynamic throughout the year. Like you can see that somebody's changed or is doing something different, dropped a pitch, changed their pitch mix, that kind of stuff. It's, we are way more um, qualitative on pitching than we are on hitting. Um, the one thing I wish someone would do, I think I've stated this before with the playing time, is someone just have a website that puts all the aggregated values together and kind of discusses the differences. I think that's just something missing in our industry. Instead, people will do whole page previews on why Juan Soto is a great hitter. And we all know <laughs> that Juan Soto is a great hitter. You know, it's like figure out a way to pull all the playing time, see where they're different. And um, you can even add your own. Like if someone was doing that, I think like they could have the average and even like, okay, I think like these two are just behind behind the times. Like they could see when they've changed them or stuff like that. I think that would be extremely helpful. But like I said, we're just, again, going to look at, you know, Overanalyze Garrett Cole's home run problems. Oh, you said Garrett Cole at the right time because dun, 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 here comes Mr. Garrett Cole himself. Garrett, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> I I feel I feel like that was aimed at me, Rob. Dobie, I don't know. I, don't know. Crazy. <laughs> I was actually hopping on to analyze uh, his home run per fly ball rate in the in the context of the the third Yankee baseball. <laughs> welcome man we're three hours in and here you are and we've been like yo we're still here toby and just tuning the discord and like trying to reel you in to pop in and say hello are you guys going for like the record of a uh yes. of a pulled hitter podcast uh podcast <laughs> and if we don't rob's just gonna let it go at the end so um <laughs> Silver can see it. It's like it's gonna be like four hours of talking and then just four hours of like I just want to see what silver would be like. What the fuck was he doing? Should we put three minutes at dead time and just start talking again later? Uh, I thought we were just gonna discuss the first round. Yeah. First 150 players. What's up, Toby? What's going on, man? Thanks for joining us. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, everything is going well. I'm glad you guys are going long, and I'm able to join you. I'm. It'll be nice. I'll know what part of the podcast is about, but then I get to listen to three hours of it over the weekend. So <laughs> yeah, it'll be awesome. Absolutely. Um, I think Steve was in the middle of asking finally his his questions for the the doc. Um, oh, what, one thing, Steve, that I. Like the waiting, I think that's an interesting thing. But kind of what Phil was talking about earlier, I think things are so fluid in terms of what systems are probably bringing in uh, right now with all the new data that we have that I don't know that it would make like, yeah, somebody might win one year home runs and then another system wins the next year. Um, 
I could just see that weighting fluctuating. So I don't know that I would spend a lot of time trying to figure that out. Like, again, not to beat a dead horse, but to me, I really just try to focus in on who's like any aggregate of the projection systems is probably good enough for me. And then I have to spend my time on finding the ways that they, there's something they didn't know about. Is this player different? Did they change? And then thinking of just about playing time and what my feel is for, do they have a job? Do they not have a job? What are the chances of them losing their job? That kind of stuff. Um, I think that's a better use of my time, limited time at least than trying to aggregate the perfect mix. Cause we already have somebody that did that for us. <laughs> but then the, uh... Yeah, I'll let that go. But yeah, I agree with <laughs> in terms of like that is rational, but I can't help myself. So I, I've, I've spent way too much time trying to figure out the perfect mix and it, it does, you know, change values, you know, a fraction of a dollar or something. Right. Like that if, if you if you move air, you know, more weight to one system rather than another. But I just I like it as an exercise. Um anyway. There was I think when we didn't do it in 2020, the book. There was a study I had started and like people aren't going to want to read about a three-year-old study because I want the most updated one, but I actually like saw, try to determine the best mix between projections. I think I did Steamer because it has historic ones and ADP and just a 50-50 combination actually stood up really well, did better than each one of them by themselves. And um, if you could just even split that as using that as a projection quote unquote, I think you would end up doing pretty good. Good to know. I, think I, I did this off season and I didn't do it as well as you all would. So maybe it was a flaw in the method, but I tried to like aggregate projections with ranks that I had from preseason um, and it didn't add anything at all. You're just better off using the projections. Um, and I think like Probably, you know, people who have ranks that differ from the projections, in a lot of cases, they are picking up on something that the projections are missing, but I don't know if it's, you know, frequent enough to really make a difference um, across the board. But that was my my perception of it anyway. I think one of the things that I, when I, when I tested projections before I did more of my own stuff is um, how sometimes um one one projection system that by itself isn't as accurate when you combine it is gonna bring that little piece of information because maybe it's done manually um it's done differently um so i i would probably lean towards doing something like almost grouping like average home run runs and rbis all together and stolen bases and just um saying okay well um these two are better they get 35 percent and then these two are weaker but they bring in something so they get 15 um something like that um but i i, I do find it interesting that like the more and i was kind of surprised that um was jeff's article last year where the the average compared to another method of aggregating was basically as accurate, even though in the 10 sources or 15 sources, there is a couple that were just totally wrong. But when you do the entire average, they kind of 
all ended up um, doing pretty well. Yeah, I, I thought there would be like three or four. I thought some of the, like the better aggregators would be toward the top along with like three or four systems, but it was just like almost every time the aggregators were are my average. And then there's a couple other aggregators um, kind of seemed to dominate and like one, one other system would pop above them. And I have it to do this year. I've just been, I'm taking a break. I'll figure it out sometime. Someone asked me about it because they wanted to see where they stood. And I was just like, I don't feel like doing it. Like, you can do it. I'll send you the data. And they're like, no. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, that looks too hard. And I was like, exactly. Like, <laughs> like I, I, I will. I want to see what happens. But it'll probably run out probably sometime around the 1st of March. I'll feel like, oh, I need to do it when I've got money leaves on the line. And I'll do it then. I would be uh, curious, Steve. I haven't run done this. But I'd be curious if what moves a dollar value more, like an aggregated projection or 25 plate appearances, like, or, or what that break-even point is. Um, and then maybe that would help us decide, should I be spending more time trying to figure out playing time probabilities or trying to find a precise aggregation? I don't know. I'm just speculating, but I no. can see the 25 plate appearances mattering more than any tweak we make to most players' projections. The one and that's a small time. amount. We usually just increment yeah. guys 25 or 50 when we're, you know, putting plugging something in for a guy. One thing we're playing, Tom. I remember Jeff saying this. Um, I think last year when he counted like the number of guys that he moved. Um, like the time he spent doing, and then in the end he was right fifty percent of the time. Um, and I I did the same last year. It's the it's one of the first years where I decided to move playing time around. I spent time looking at depth charts, and I was convinced that a bunch of changes I was making. I'm like, I'm gonna beat Jeff. I'm gonna like spend time doing things. So I'm gonna be right. And I was like forty nine percent or forty eight percent. I'm like, it's and it's it's funny because as the season was going on, I remembered which guys I bumped down. And like, I remember, uh, it was Tim Anderson, and Tyler O'Neill. I'm like, well, they're, I mean, they're injury prone guys. I'm bumping down because they, they can't, they never get the 650 play appearances. The, they're being overrated. I'm like, yeah, I was right about these guys. Then I looked back, I'm like, boy, well, I also bumped down Randy Rosarena. I also bumped down, um, oh, I forgot who else. But anyways, another player that ended up getting that 630, that 640. So I'm like, ah. This year, I haven't done it yet. I don't know if I will. I think it, I think there's probably more value to it um, at this point in the offseason, January, February, where some of the projections are kind of, they have to um, move, they have to set the number of plate appearances per team. Mm -hmm. um, and they have to give someone that left field job when we all know it might be pro for, it might be another left fielder coming in. Um, but I think in March, um, I think my time is probably better spent elsewhere um, where I can just average four or five different sources. Um, or I think like Jeff said, if I'm going to do it, mine becomes like a six different source as opposed to yeah. making the, the full change. I don't know if you guys had different results this year than, than what Jeff said you guys had in the past or not. But um, Well, the reason I think we aggregate it is because it's so hard to stay on top of it. Like I want to yeah. know somebody that I can trust that is. Because if we go in, right, I'll tell you what would happen right now. We might go in and put, you know, 550 on a guy. 
And two months later, it might still have 550 on it, but because I didn't go back and reevaluate it, but now it should be 400 or something. Um, And he could be wrong. So it's very, you have to be diligent about it if you are, and you've got to always be looking at the old ones you did and make sure they're still right. Yeah, that's a good point. This isn't a perfect test, Tanner, but uh, I added 25 plate appearances to Starling Marte pretty much randomly. And that was uh, the same increase in value as uh, three and a half home runs. So I didn't do like the figure out the percentage of rate stats, but the, the plate appearances themselves would just be an increase of 0.6. So I don't know like what that tells us, but I mean, that's a pretty big jump from whatever I had projected to. It's, you know, at least 25% of the home runs or something like that. So for what it's worth. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I think Anna's point is right. Cause when you look at, um, like Marte's projections or any player's projections on, on fan graphs. Um, once you account for the environment, I think steamers are um, projecting more offense than the bat. Um, I think once you account for that, I'm guessing pretty much all projections, except maybe a handful of guys are going to be within that 3.5 um, home runs. I mean, there's other categories as well. So if you add them all up, maybe it'll make a difference in the end, but um I, there probably there probably isn't a ton of difference between all the projection system. What At least be, the ones that are done with formulas. Yeah. What would be a way to best see like what the projections are predicting? Like which ones predicting a heavier environment? Would you just uh, like take um, like ADP uh, or anyone who's projected for over X amount of at bats and? try to see like the rate stats per each system or like how, how, how can we compare? Didn't you have um, something yeah. about this last year, Jeff? Didn't you write an article about this? Yeah, I, I, did, right? I wrote like 20, it wasn't 20. I think it was like 10. Um, but I've looked at it with the rate, the rate stats and then the county ones, which were heavily weighed toward the plate appearances. Like they were all pretty close, especially with hitters. So then I, part of it was also like putting them all on kind of the same scale, which was a mess in and of itself. Oh, I remember with the rates, I remember I did it with like, I'm strikeouts. Like I made, I created rate stats to see how they held up. Like if your playing time was off. Um, but it's, you really just needed to stay up on it. Like you have to make sure that person's changing it. And especially there at the end. Um, Cause if, if someone's just updating it once a week, like you're going to have, you need to know that when it updates and go through there and make those adjustments yourself. Right. But I kind of recall an article, um, Rob, to kind of maybe answer your question a little bit that Jeff wrote where he was trying to figure out what the best projection systems were. And when he got into it, he kind of found out that there, the reason for the, differences in accuracy was because of the environment that each had as their baseline more than it was for they were different in skills which did you just say that phil is what we are already seeing between steamer and the bat i think so i'm actually um trying to look it up right now i think i found a way to pull it up pretty quickly uh so if you guys keep talking for about three minutes, I think I'll have something interesting to say. <laughs> I, I think well, I, remember I remember the same thing. 
Tanner. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's like I remember if I adjusted it, you're right because it was like this one's wrong and it's just going to keep being wrong because they assumed a different environment, a different yeah. environment. And it's like when I set the environments the same. I remember um, Baseball Prospectus actually probably hit the environment best, um, Dakota, but they were off on other settings for those guys. Like the average didn't hit what the average was going to be. Um, I, I remember that now you're kind of jogging my mind where it's, uh, I've got something. I can't believe you don't remember every article you ever wrote. Yeah. Oh, damn it. <laughs> I don't remember what I wrote. I... Um, so I looked to, I looked on the, uh, on the new, um, fan projections page. Um, if you go in fantasy, uh, you can export, um actually you can go on any page when you the export they all show up but um i exported steamer and the bat and you can sort by adp and both systems have the same adp uh so i took the hitters in the top 400 adp so i have the same there's 197 hitters than the same on both um so if i look at steamer the average for those guys in 19.8 home runs um the bat is at 18.95 uh, batting average, uh, steamer is at 253, the bat is at 251, uh, and then I'll look at stolen bases for fun. No, the bat's not adjusted for stolen bases yet, but they're at 7.7, uh, and steamer is actually at 7.64. Uh, so home runs and average steamer is a little bit higher than, than the bat. Um, and I assume that also shows in, let's see, it runs plus RBIs. 67.7 for steamer and 66.3 um actually you have to double that i'm average both but uh so i guess the difference of about three runs plus rbi between the two so there's a bit of so steamer is a little bit more um has a little bit more offense uh right now than the bat than the bad x is, is steamer is steamer has it already tried to factor in some of the rule changes or has it do we know that I don't think anyone has yet. Nobody yeah, but has I think Derek okay. showed that. Yeah, I think Derek mentioned that he hadn't factored yeah. that next level in yet. Um, yeah, that's my, what, that, uh, my I was wondering if that's what the difference was, but I guess not. My Which? understanding from Steamer is that it was never really adjusted for the shift. Um, it's like it seems like if you look back a couple years, um, like Corey Seager's average projection always seemed kind of high. Um, so it might just be anecdotal, my, 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 my stuff. So, um, if I'm right, then steamers would already be adjusted for the shift right now, which I'm not hundred percent sure about, but that would be my personal guess. Um, yeah, I think one interesting thing, if Rob, if you want to have it on is get some of the projection people on and just have them talk about it, how yeah. they, how they've done it. Um, if you need to help getting hold of Jared cross, I know he's not online a lot. I think I can help you out there, but. I know Dan likes to talk and Derek likes to talk. So yeah, probably. Yeah. Actually, I actually already reached out to a couple of people. So yeah, I'm going to try to get them all on. That'd be great. Good. I do like how Dan does his a little bit different with zips. He may not be as accurate, but it's just a totally different system where he just finds comps. It's not like a linear regression formula. It's actually like he always has his list of players that he uses to make them. And I think it's kind of interesting seeing like the, the high-end player, like the top, what's the best case scenario and the worst case? And sometimes when you look at the list, like this is all bad, you're like, all right, 
go ahead and move on. Hmm. But I, I do like, I think it goes back to what I said, where um, since Sips does things differently, uh, when you do an aggregator, it'll have some weight, even though by itself, it's not as accurate as others. Um, and I've, I've actually done the same thing for, um, it's a project I had last year to project saves um, using just the formula with no human bias. Um, and by my, by myself, the form by itself, the formula isn't nearly as accurate as, um, Jason Martinez does for, for, for steamer for the saves projections, but it adds a lot when I combine the both. when I average, when I average the two, it's, it's more accurate than, than steamer. Um, so I, I think it goes back to, if you can find projections that do things differently, I think they all add a little bit um, uh, to something. So if you have someone that a um, bunch of people that project playing time annually, and if you can, I don't know if it exists, but someone that somehow projects playing time with a formula based on strength of lineups and all that stuff, I think that would add some value to, to what we have right now. Um, the more different point of views yeah, that you average that together. Point. I don't know if you guys ever read Super Forecaster or something like that's called. It when you aggregate, you don't. It doesn't do you any good to aggregate things doing things the exact same way. You want to aggregate things doing things differently. Yeah, that's where the value comes. The Super Forecaster. Yeah, Rob Silver told me to get that book. It is a good book. Yeah, I think I ordered it. I never read it. <laughs> I've done that before. <laughs> story, it's a story of my life. It's it theoretically, it's a great idea to read it's that a book. Idea. It's a really good idea. <laughs> great idea. The whole bookshelf of books I've never dove into. Ah, uh, so hard to read. All right, let's do some ADPs talk and get the hell out of here because you guys, I'm keeping you too long, right? I mean, three hours, sure. Anyway, but Jeff. Tell me about your dislike for the analysis of the top 150. And I guess you don't like that there were podcasts dedicated to Carlos Correa's value at third base. I don't remember about that one. I, I do know, like, all I've seen is, like, um, even the 150, that was more of just a shortcut. I think, actually, like, the first two or three rounds is something that bugs me. It's like, oh, we're going to read, even if they're, going to look at their mock draft like why don't we start at the bottom <laughs> you know it's like oh these great players at the top were taken like no shit like you could probably figure that out right away um the one thing i've seen with the 150 analysis is like if you have limited time if you're just coming out of football and you're going to spend i don't know even 10 hours prepping i mean i'm sure we've some of us have spent 100 times that probably getting ready for this season it's like just assume that find a good set of ADPs, NFBCs, perfectly fine. And just assume like we've done our research and those guys are right. Go after that and see what the guys you like, try to figure it out from there. It just, I think it's just one of those things that could just be a shortcut um, time-wise. Um, so that's my take on that. I, I think the point on the Correa thing is probably how many podcasts would have talked about Correa over the last few weeks and value changes that he may have had, whereas um, a seemingly innocuous move of the Soto being traded to the Phillies, like the ag, 
the aggregate combined change in fantasy value from that little trade um, is probably way more than whatever's going to happen mm. with Correa. Because um, what it means to the Tigers, how many guys gained from that, and what it meant to the Phillies. Like, there's a lot to take in about that little move of not even really good players. <laughs> Just wait until Mookie Betts gets uh, field some ground balls at second base in spring training. <laughs> Already talking him. about it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, so I threw some players together. Maybe you guys should give me a quick quick pick. Who you like? ADP 190, Jonathan India or Grissom? Anyone have a preference here? Not Grissom for me. Yeah, that's where I'm standing. I don't know if India's the right choice, but Grissom's the wrong choice. Okay, that's definitely an answer for sure. Yeah. It was yeah. India for me too. Yeah. He's done it. And um, I will say, you know how you have blind spots about certain players. I had no Von Grissom last year. So immediately I said India, and then I went and looked at Von Grissom and I was like, oh. He's actually way better than I would have thought, but still, he's going to bat ninth, and India's going to bat second. In you should look, well, yeah, once they adjusted to him, too, it was pretty bad. Yeah. So I want to run the next one. I'll let you guys, Tanner and I, have already made this decision. Late in the draft, Eric Hosmer, Garrett Cooper, Joey Votto, or Carlos Santana? Ooh. I think the Votto news is kind of a little concerning, um, but uh, Gary Cooper, man, I want to go there. They got rid of Brian Anderson. You figure like, he have like a little more run there, but he keeps getting hurt. And it just leads me to Carlos Santana and being, I think, the, the safer choice for playing time. And, you know, I guess putting a little stock into the shift projected BABIP thing and, I don't know. I mean, they did sign Choi as well, and uh, I believe another first baseman. But um, or they got rid of Luis Diaz, right? Um, <laughs> like that. I know Luis Diaz. I know he's been on six teams, so <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, poor guy. Um, so yeah, I'll go. I'll go Santana just based on those quick items. Oh, I forgot to mention Hosmer. I just yeah, he made the list. He made a list. I did. <laughs> should go with him you got steve out of those four you're on mute uh i think cooper probably um a little bit safer playing time i don't know Votto scares me i think Votto's actually a little bit ahead in my ranks but um i haven't really looked at that situation enough to feel good about it so I'd go with Cooper, like if I had to pick one, but really I would just use it as a reason to not take them and wait and get Carlos Santana because he's just more lovable. <laughs> I think with Cooper, Steve, um, the one thing that knocked me down a little bit was, I guess when I was looking at that new playing time um, thing that Baseball HQ had and he just like didn't get the plate appearances per week and I don't have like a lot of those, but they had the ghost plate appearances that came like in the middle of the week or on after like uh, the start of a starting period for batting. So I just don't know if that's just because of the injury or because they have all these little guys to throw into the mix. But I love the skills, you know, when he's when he's 
present and available? I've got all three. Like, uh, I mean, I'm kind of ignoring Hosmer. Um, Santana, Cooper, and Votto kind of all around each other. Um, the the, <laughs> the Votto injury kind of worries me a little bit, but it's kind of one of those situations where I'll get to um, round, what is it, 29 in the D.C. I'll say, okay, there's three first basemen I'd be okay with. Um, I'll pick another position. Once I get down to one, I'll take whichever one's left. Um, Santana. So, so yeah, that's usually Santana, but I've seen Cooper slip um, in in some drafts. Um, not not DCs, but um, whatever else I was doing before Gladiators. Um, so um, yeah, I'll take whichever one slips. Probably Santana. Toby, you alive? I I am. I'm I'm still here. Uh, I think I would go with Cooper, probably. Okay. Um, yeah, I think the playing time, batting average, I think he was pretty unlucky last year, power-wise. I think like nine, nine home runs on 32 barrels, over 10% barrel rate. So, obviously, the Marlins Park, I think, and center field, opposite field, have something to do with that, but... Um, I don't know. I think I think it's good, and maybe he gets traded somewhere where there's better, better, better lineup, better environment. Well, I guess we screwed that one up, huh, Tanner? Yeah. Who'd you guys go with? <laughs> we went with the player that everybody just dismissed out of hand. Like, no way we're taking that guy. <laughs> Osmer, huh? That is amazing. That's why they win and we don't. Tanner is. Yeah. All right. We said we obviously we were the thought process was similar, but we arrived at Hosmer instead of Santana, really. Like we I love Cooper, but he was hurt a lot. And I think you I think what you were saying, Rob, is there something like he's going to play four games a week. Doesn't matter somehow, some way that's kind of what they're going to pencil him in for that. I could definitely see that happening. The likelihood of a zero from Votto is super scary because we're talking like a draft and hold here too. So, and I could see Hosmer getting 650 play appearances. (laughs) (laughs) No, absolutely. Uh, Yeah. But what about never nervous, Matt Mervis? Well, they got first and DH open. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what they're going to do at the age. Yeah, the other thing with Cooper, guys. 416 days on the IL and is it's only 31 years old. It's like twice as much as Votto almost. I'm like, he's due for know. a healthy season, is what you're saying. <laughs> he is. Shit, regress to health, just like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Hooey. You got any more for us, Jeff? No, that was just the. I have that one. You can go okay. back to yours now there, Rob. What other picks can we tell you that you guys fucked up? The Kapuji. Just stay away from Kapuji. Um I tried to tell you guys that last year. Yeah, yeah, you did. constantly. I don't know why you guys are going back to this well. That was a consistent Tone from Toby, just don't do it. Oh, don't. What was the guy kept saying? Uh, you say Kikuchi, I say stud. 
<laughs> I kept saying that over and over again last year, and that didn't work out quite quite well. Um, pick two eighty four, Nick Gordon versus Luis Renjifo. Renjifo, it's not close right now, especially with Correa signing. Kobe. Well, I mean, I love Nick Gordon. Yeah. Um, I love Nick Gordon, but I don't know if I like him that much anymore. Uh, I thought he was. I thought he was going to be penciled into the starting lineup pretty clearly, but Correa changes that significantly. Um, I still do. I still do like him a decent amount, and I feel like the Twins have enough holes in that lineup where he gets a good little run. I feel like Renjifo may have been one of the luckier players. I haven't, I haven't actually looked at him, but I feel like my gut is telling me that he was pretty, pretty lucky last year with the power outburst. I feel like that came out of nowhere. But um, and Gordon, I think I don't know. Not this isn't like statistical, but last year he was the first year he was like healthy. He had some sort of digestive issue, and so he's like super slight but he's added um, he supposedly added a lot of muscle last year. And I feel like if he can continue to do that, then maybe the power is there a little bit more consistently. My only concern is the approach, you know, he's kind of all over the place, but Toby um, reads mining the news with that health information. (laughs) Oh, Jeff, I would never, I would never miss it uh, for the world. I was just thinking about the Gregory Soto news and how it's going to be a bullpen by committee uh, in Philly. Yeah, bullpen by committee, yeah. learned about that um, uh, yeah. from Mining the News. Everybody should uh, listen to the Mining, uh, read Mining the News, um, for <laughs> sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, again, like, you know, he had, I think, the second lowest barrel to home run rate um, last year, only nine home runs on the 29 barrels. Um, you know, so do a little bit of regression there. I think positive batting average. The projection's decent too. I mean, if you think about like Steamer and the Bad X, both have them for that. Bad X has them for nine and nine and 367 with a 252 batting average. So, you know, if he gets regular playing time, you're looking at a 1515 guy, I think, with some, with some upside given pedigree and continued health. I, I, and one of my first value years, I think I took Grand Hefo because his playing time felt safe. Um, then they signed a bunch of guys, but it seems like everyone in that starting lineup is injury prone. So I do think he's going to find his way to playing time. Um, problem with him is before last, he was horrible. So um comes down to how much you believe in his skills. Um, the one thing about Gordon is there's been a lot of rumors about um, either Max Kepler or Luis Arias, a deal with the, with the Marlins. So um I don't know whether those work out or not, but just the fact that they're talking about it might lead me to think that they want to get Gordon some playing time. Um, and I mean, they signed Farmer. They have Farmer as well. I don't know if remember. They, yeah, they traded for him, so they probably want to get him in the lineup. So I would be surprised if if they they traded someone that that lineup opens up a little bit. Um, I think I like Gordon's skills more. Um, Ren Hifo's playing time a little bit more right now, but I do think that could change. So say for now, my answer is probably neither one, but I do think I could be interested in Gordon come come March if if that lineup changes a little bit. I think, uh, I don't know. 
I mean, I see Ren Hifo and, you know, with that 600 OPS versus righties, right? Um, Gio Stella has great career splits versus righties. I don't see Ren Hifo being a lock for more playing time than Nick Gordon. I think Norton, I think Gordon's clearly better skill-wise and I think like you mentioned, Phil, with the possible trade of other spots, but I think that we're banking maybe a little too much for sure for Renifo. They do have some depth all the way around. They signed Drury. You still got Fletcher there. Whatever he is as a player, he's still there. Um so what happens though when 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 Walsh, Drury, Rendon, and Fletcher are hurt in, in June? <laughs> And I know I'm speculating. They're gonna bring they're gonna bring Matt Duffy back. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, but even even then, like his, you still got. Um, you know, I know. So- but I, I mean, I, I the, when you said it, I mean, if I look at the Twins lineup, it, it isn't much better in terms of perceived injury risk, at least. So I I I, I think you're right. Um, yeah, and there's 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 just other um, again. I don't expect Levon Soto, Andrew Velasquez to take time away from Renifo, but uh, Velasquez was had some effective spurts, and I, I don't know. It's just I I don't think Renifo's uh, playing time is as uh, I don't think it's very safe at all. I think he'll hit. I think he'll hit lefties um, sometimes a short, maybe but uh, second. Uh, all right, let's do a pitching one. We'll get out of here. Um, Tyler Molly, Michael Kopech, or Ron D. Contreras pick up uh, at about ADP 290. Same again, Rob. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, Tyler Molly, Michael Kopech, and Ron D. Contreras at around ADP 290 ish. The three of them. Um, do, can I skip? Um, you could skip, you could skip. I could, so like, I could just skip whatever round draft pick that is in my you draft. Could, yeah, <laughs> you, could, you, you could skip all of that. Uh, uh, I would probably, um, I would probably go with uh, with Ronzi, mm. I think. Nice, well, and that's okay. based on one second of research. <laughs> so, and not looking at the projection at all. Um, I don't know. I don't know. You'd have to think about Molly, given the change in environment. You know, he struggled so much at at Great American Ballpark. So, I might, I might, I might, I might go in that direction. I would probably go in that direction. Molly's shoulder worries me. He didn't finish healthy, did he? I don't know. Like no. they traded for him, he was hurt. Then he was hurt again. So I don't know. He would be like definitely out right now. Like that might change with spring training or something. But I'd probably go Ronzi. Um, no, more more interesting, a little more upside. Even though Kopech has the the pedigree, um, and I think at this point we're probably you know, streaming whoever we take. And at least he's got the nice home park. And playing the central, I guess less than they used to, but still more than anyone else. Crazy Molly was ADP one twenty nine last year in main events. 
pretty big. That's fall. pretty much what I said. Steve was if I had to decide today, I would pick Ronzi. But if it were spring training and Molly was healthy, then I'd switch over to that. But I don't I don't know that yet. Um yeah, just looking over them. Um, it's kind of funny, Mally and Kopech on my projections for my kind of averaging thing, both have like over a four or five kind of ERA talent. Rosny's below that. And you guys would, he also was extremely unlucky on the three, two counts. Uh, oh. I wasn't going to say it. God damn it. 42%, <laughs> negative 42%. No, that's actually on my, my drop down. I was talking about earlier. It's like, Oh, that one shows up. Um, nope. He's right now, like just younger. I don't like these on the pirates. I mean, everyone, but the other ones are, aren't like on the greatest teams either. So it's not a huge difference there, but he's, um, he would be my pick. I'd probably go. I mean, one fun thing about Molly is I just looked up, I know home road splits aren't that important, but in his entire career, he's got a five yard at home and 3.89 on the road. Um, so, I mean, I, I, in that large of a sample, I think it's worth noting. Um, so, if healthy is interesting, about to pick right now, I'd probably go Kopech. Um, to, I mean, it depends on the form, whether I'm looking for someone safe. But at this point in the draft, I'm probably looking for a little more upside. And I do think being on the better team, I think both arms are kind of similar in terms of upside. Uh, but being on the better team, um, I just find Kopech a little bit more interesting, I think. Also, don't look at Maui's pitch velocity over the season. That's, that's like a nice little roller, like roller coaster heading down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing I could find like 10 pitchers going later than this that I'd rather. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, Rob, you were going to skip over them. There was but, a uh, there, there was reasoning for the this grouping of players, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I found <laughs> some reasoning. <laughs> to uh, list these guys. There uh, was reasoning. It just I'm not going to yeah. tell you what it was. <laughs> just trust the, me. Um, <laughs> no, it was. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see. Like, um, you might have skipped over. It's like utilities that are catcher only. Oh yeah, again, you can bring that up. Yeah. Was... Well, the, the deal I want to see it like in an auction where someone thinks they're like they're bringing Langoliers, like nominating him, <laughs> they win him, and they're like, "You guys stick him in utility," and they're like, "Like they had no clue, like oh crap, I got to now get two more yeah. catchers on top of it." Like those, the catch, you know, the catchers that are only util only are going to be kind of interesting in auctions to see if what they'll go for, how people will pick them up, or so forth, because. Um, just be an interesting group. I think Garver might be interesting, but Alvarez and Linguilliers, I can almost see them not go during the auction. Yeah, because Garver right now, I mean, he's his ADP in the last uh, five weeks of draft champions is four hundred, and you know, so maybe he, he won't go. That's wild because I, I, I mean, last year I think he had. Um, Nine starts at catcher by May 9th, May 14th, something like that. Um, so I feel like he's gonna get that catcher really quick. So I think he's I think he's a pretty good grab right now in, in drafts. But yeah, an auction, I, I I'm guessing I don't know. 
You probably won't go in NFBC, but in like an NL or AL um, auction, those guys are kind of interesting. AL NL, look at you. I'm 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 turning into a content creator where I touch every <laughs> format. <laughs> never, over never, never heard you specify AL NL all in my whole life of knowing. <laughs> You fucking, this is what happened when Phil was like three hours past his bedtime. <laughs> shutting down. I'm, I'm caught up on everything now. Everything's going on in history. Um, Jeff DMs me every mock draft um, that happens in history. He um, DMs it to me so I can pay attention to those dynasty mock drafts. Um, dynasty slow mock drafts. I'm, I'm up to par and everything that's going on in the industry. So uh, <laughs> I'm keeping up with everything. So that that's how the the AL now. I'm just keeping track, getting better at this. <laughs> oh man, yeah. But I guess for an auction, I guess I guess Langoliers. I mean, he's 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 kind of on the fringe of of, of someone who might. I mean, when 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 he'll have it by what week? Second week, third week, third week. It's a good time to have roster flexibility. First two weeks of the season, you got to have three catchers. Well, you can move him off of there, but it's like during the auction, you wouldn't have. Well, yeah, you would have to kind of sit him there for a while, too, for a catcher. I don't know. Wait, his, uh, am I reading this right? His ADP is 272. Yep. Yep. Oh, so he'd be someone who'd normally go in an auction. Yes. Hmm. That's interesting. Got to keep that in mind. <laughs> Don't screw it, it up, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> this one I'm keeping to myself, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Awesome. All right. I think it's it. We've done a marathon. This has been awesome. I really appreciate everyone's time. Um, not easy given all of your life for this meatball podcast, but I appreciate all of you. Seriously, like hundred um, percent more than you know. So, but thank you guys for coming on to talk about your wonderful book, the process, and um, thank you for you know making us better. Uh, with every page that I turn. Uh, you read that one? You read that book? I read that book. <laughs> that's the one that matters. That's that's the one that matters. You know, that's the one that's bringing value to my life right now. So. <laughs> well, thank you. Yes. Thank you, Tanner. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Toby. Coming in Mariano Rivera style. <laughs> For sure. Close this. Close this sucker down. Close this sucker down. Even and, uh, though, I mean, analytically speaking, a closer closer by committee is probably the best route to go. Better <laughs> <Her> choice. <yeah. laughs> oh man, the Mariano. I've got such a great editor that catches those for me. <laughs> uh, sweet. Does anyone have any parting words before we get off? No, just thanks, Rob, for for having us and putting this together. Sweet. You're welcome. Thank you, Rob. And keep putting out great content. Woo! Thanks for having us. It's been an enjoyable night. It's been a very <laughs> enjoyable night. Thanks, Rob. There's not much left to say. 
Thank you for tuning in. I love all the support and feedback from the podcast. Keep it coming. Thank you so much to anyone who's listened. And don't be a bag of shit.